Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Attorney General Bill Barr did something extraordinary today on Capitol Hill. He didn't just say what the president wanted to hear, although he did do that. And he didn't just make an explosive claim about what might have led to the Russia investigation, although he did that too. The country's chief law enforcement officer went in front of Congress today and gave credence to a factless conspiracy theory. Using the word spying plays right into the president's language and argument that the Russia investigation to him is just a witch hunt. And every time they brought up this allegation, there has been zero factual basis for it. You should see the emails I'm getting from this, like you know, the, the viewers I've accrued over the years who are bought into this bizarre conspiracy theory of theirs that somehow Hillary Clinton worked with the Russians to create this conspiracy. They're like through the moon. Greg, what was the FBI supposed to do when you when you have active multiple uh, attempts of Russians clearly trying to infiltrate the Trump campaign? Pure and simple. The, uh, that is, we can dis- we we are debating whether the Trump campaign knew what was going on. We c- it is indisputable the number of attempts they made to infiltrate that campaign. And so I guess the question here is. Why, if you believe that things were started under political suspicion, right? That's the, the charge from the right. Why act so politically? I mean, I'm sorry. Right, what he right. ended up doing is he's, uh, two wrongs don't make a right here. I'm not if you believe a wrong happened, it was the most articulate way to say it. Clearly, it wasn't. It wasn't the appropriate timing when the president, you know, had just. Uh, oh, but he chose to do it this way. They knew what they were doing. They didn't. This isn't an accident. Well, how do we know that? Do we know that for sure? I mean, we're speculating here. It doesn't matter what the truth is, does it? I mean, I hate to say this now, but that's the whole point. It feels like we, that basically the attorney general gaslit the country. With respect to Barr's comments, I really don't know what he's talking about when he talks about spying on the campaign. It's concerning because the FBI and the Department of Justice conduct court ordered electronic surveillance i have never thought of that as spying and welcome back to flyover politic podcast it is the 13th of april year of our lord 2019 i went way early i had the script ready and uh monday and tuesday off the docket gotta get some car maintenance and puppy maintenance gotta go get his stitches taken out so both days were shot wednesday's fishing yeah I got stuff, so we'll do it today, because the wife's working, and I'm on my own, it's a Saturday, it's early in the morning, it's 0630 hours, what the hell? I want to make a public announcement, and then we'll go into our intro sounds. It's frustrating when I listen to other podcasts. I I want you to know, I formulate my own. I was listening to some Ben Shapiro last night when my wife was... was, uh, painting and i was reading a book and it's like god every story i cover he covers it looks like i'm copying shapiro no he is the master yes he's going to cover the same stories i am so i'm not saying it's he's stealing my show by no means i just don't want people to think i'm stealing his show because i'm not um i go through the same probably websites he does i go through his website you know daily wire and I pluck stories I want to cover, <clears throat> put them in a script. It's kind of the way it works out, especially with the world the way it is. So, 
In the intro there, it was um, <clears throat> Chuck Todd losing his shit over Barr, as you could tell. Um, and Comey saying he never thought of electronic spying as spying. How the fuck was that the guy in charge of the FBI? I, I don't get it. Um, I was going to play an Aunt Maxine. Man, that, that soundbite, which you've, anybody who's been on Twitter, you've already heard it, so I'm not going to play it. Um, <clears throat> wow. How that woman's in charge of everything, anything, it just, just surprises the shit out of me. <clears throat> For those that are new to the show, I, I literally met her during the L.A. riots back in the day. And the story goes, we were guarding a <clears throat> shopping plaza on 130, 103rd Grandy, and this limo pulls up. And it's anti-Maxine. That's Watts, boys and girls. Um, how the fuck she gets elected? That was 93. Every time. I just don't understand. That lady was a racist bitch. I mean, seriously. So, uh, Because I haven't heard the soundbite in a long time, we're going to fire for effect and go through some Russia. A large violent left today. There was a lot of attacks. Um, that came down <clears throat> a nice uh, hate tweet section and tweet of the day and news and social media nuggets. So uh, let's get our fire for effect soundbite out there so I can hear some A10 scunion. So right out of the gate, we got some good old hypocrisy. Ex-Obama lawyer expects to be indicted in Mueller-related case. Legal team for former Obama White House lawyer Greg Craig says that they expect Craig to be indicted in the near futures on charges related to work that he performed in 2012 for the Russian-aligned government of Ukraine. Mr. Craig has refused to accept a plea deal, and the matter could be presented to grand jury for indictment as soon. It's already happened. The people familiar with the situation say they believe Mr. Craig will be charged with making false statements to the Justice Department that oversees the activities of foreign agents. The case against a 74-year-old Democrat who has served in senior legal positions under two Democratic presidents originated from Mueller. Now, understand, that's pretty big. All right, that's an Obama flack. And the word Ukraine's in there. Because we already know Hillary was working with the Ukraine. This is how Maggie Haberman tweeted it. Washington-based lawyer indicted on charge of making false statements to the Department of Justice. The federal grand jury today returned an indictment charging Gregory B. Craig, a Washington-based lawyer, with making false statements, blah, 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 blah. Announced, uh, let's see, anywhere in this thing, Swinney Craig, District of Columbia, code section, indictment, merely formal charge. 
She didn't even headline it. She just sent out a picture. Who is this guy, Maggie? You aren't talking about Obama's White House counsel, are you? Strange you didn't mention that. <clears throat> you left out some pertinent details, Maggie. I wonder why. Sean Davis, Obama's top White House lawyer, was just indicted by a federal grand jury for lying about his lobbying and media leaks on behalf of foreign governments. Nets give one minute to Obama counsel indictment, gave Manafort 60% of airtime. <clears throat> Thursday, when former White House counsel for President Obama was charged lying to investigators, blah, 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 blah. But despite the similarities, the airtime dedicated to the indictment by the broadcast networks were grossly lopsided. On Thursday, the combined evening airtime allowed by ABC, CBS, and NBC for the indictment of former White House lawyer Greg Craig was 1 minute and 15 seconds. Both ABC World News Tonight and CBS Evening News sprinted past the story NBC News offered a little bit more time, 42 seconds. Uh, there were 16 and 17 seconds for CBS and ABC combined. Newsbusters documented that following the indictment of Paul Manafort and Deputy Chair Rick Gates, the evening programs of ABC, CBS, and NBC dedicated 33 minutes and 9 seconds while spending 22 minutes and 14 seconds on all other news for the day. That's 60% boys and girls. Kind of lined up with this. Michael Avanti was on the news 255 fucking times in one year. But there's no media bias, huh? This was the Obama council being indicted. Do you think, well, we already know, look at Manafort. But think of his council right now was indicted for making false statements, how long that would be on the news. They didn't even say Democrat. New York Times, WAPO, took two days to actually put Democrat counsel for Obama. Initially, it was just the same thing Maggie Haberman did. But this is this is where the Mueller went backfire on the Democrats. Molly Hemingway, FBI man's testimony points to wrongdoing well beyond spying from real clear investigations. From the end of 2015 to the end of 2018, Bill Prystap was assistant director of FBI's counterintelligence division, which many oversaw the FBI's global counterintelligence efforts. In that role, he managed both of the Bureau's most politically sensitive investigations, the inquiry into Hillary Clinton's handling of classified information and the probe into Donald Trump in 2016. His, 20, his testimony provides rare insight into the attitudes and thoughts of officials who launched the Russia probe and the probe of special counsel Robert Mueller, whose final report is expected to release soon. Turns out the Sharpie brigades weren't nearly as thorough as they thought. A long-available transcript of text messages between Zork and Page, the paramours who worked on both the Clinton and Trump investigation, provide the answer. It's right there on the page detailing text between Zork and Page, May 4, 2016, at around 9.31 that Wednesday evening. Zork writes to say he's worried about getting a memo into shape that is expected that night for the next morning. He feels pressured, even though I don't know that Bill will read it before he gets back from London next week. 
Go to a text on the next Monday morning, May 9th, and Zork is wondering who will be receiving the daily report on the Clinton investigation. What? With Bill out. So there we have it. Bill Priestop was in London on around May 9th, which strongly suggests that all three of the international trips taken by him during this tenure of FBI counterintelligence chief were to London. Britt Hume in which we learn that as far as the FBI is concerned, there is no such thing as spying exactly by foreigners. We also learn that is exactly what the FBI was up to in probing the Trump campaign. Yeah. <clears throat> it's it's not good. Then we have this one. On Friday morning, President Trump used his Twitter account to inform his nearly 60 million followers about a story suggests the corrupt meeting is downplaying, and of course it's Obama's guy the media lost their fucking mind on it said he's playing politics wouldn't you play politics it's unbelievable so then we have this one by sean davis we know the word trigger is so overused but truth be told there's no other word that quite describes the reaction of the left and the media same thing really to bar using the word spying, you'd have thought the man kicked a bunch of puppies. Expect we all know they'll be just fine with someone accusing Trump administration of spying because orange bad man, orange bad bad. Sean Davis took it upon himself to compile several examples of the media being hunky-dory with the S word and managed to slam Chris the media is not politically biased to Liz in the process. Here are all the things during Bush... They were pretty cool for the media. Robert's pick reshaping secret surveillance course. The recent leaks about government spying programs. These are all, that was the Washington Post. New York Times. Documents shed light on legal wrangling over spying in the U.S. The NSA is trying to have it both ways in its dome domestic spying program. That was the USA Today. Within that. Oh, this is the Obama administration told a federal judge in the year after the disclosure of Edward Snowden, the legal battle of blah, blah, blah. Fleisch argued, suggests that the agency expects the American people to simply trust its use of vast spying powers. Traditionally, domestic surveillance powers were held by law enforcement agencies, not the NSA, and the extensive use of the spying powers were not secret. Sean Davis's tweet, totally not spying, you guys. Totally. More, domestic spying by Trump, spying on ordinary Americans. Sean Davis again, when Bush did it, not only was it spying, it was the kind of spying that needed to be banned. Bush was spying, stuff the presses, these people. CIA reports finds concern with ties to New York police who were spying. Sean Davis again. It's striking how consistent the New York Times was in its use of the term spying prior to the Obama administration's effort to aggressively spy on the Trump campaign. Come on, man. Obama only spied on Trump campaign to keep the rest of us safe from something. U.S. spied on five American Muslims, a report says. New York Times again. Back in 2014, for the New York Times, spying was defined as being subjected to surveillance by the federal government. Oh, how the times have changed. He then does a WAPO article. Former Obama official, domestic spying, inconsistent with the value of the country. 
Sean Davis, old and bustus. Domestic spying is inconsistent with the value of the country. New hotness, spying is very consistent with the values of this country because orange man bad. These people, seriously, this editor spends so much time of her day shaking her head, she is almost permanently dizzy, the person that put this article together says. Another Washington Post, timeline of domestic spying. It's only warrantless domestic spying when Republicans do it. When Obama does it, it's merely the utilization of national security letters to avoid court oversight of a surreptitious domestic surveillance of the communications of private U.S. citizens. CNN Politics, Gonzalez to testify on domestic spying. Uh, CNN Politics, again, telecoms that help warrantless spying could get off the hook. Sean Davis, again, CNN melts down over Barr's accurate use of the word spying and even more curious given that CNN described a previous GOPAG's testimony regarding the exact same DOG program as domestic spying. Leak. Government spies snooped in Warcraft, other games. Agents from the CIA, FBI, and Pentagon and England's government communication headquarters infiltrated. Wow. Sean Davis again. Remember that time CNN referred to FBI agents as secretly collecting communications of American citizens and spying? And remember how there was so much spying via video games that the FBI worried it might be actually spying on its own agents? I remember. Chris Saliza, Bill Barr could have said surveillance approved by a FISA court. Instead, he said spying. Whole article on CNN. Sean Davis, the prosecutor could have said deliberate enforced cessation of another individual's life without legal justification. Instead, he said murder. The doctor could have said acute ventricular myocardial infarction. Instead, he said Heart attack. These were all to Chris Saliza. Also, Chris CNN, as we reported nearly a year ago, national security letters which allow the FBI to seize banks, phone, internet records without court approval were deployed against the Trump campaign. I know this is a tough task, but at least try to be less stupid. Articles from Chris Saliza himself. Spy is purely political term being used by Trump and his team. Same thing from Washington Post. Gore says Bush broke the law with spying warrantless surveillance on examples of indifference to Constitution he charges. Both those articles were written by Chris Saliza. Really makes you think, Sean Davis says, and he's totally fucking right. What they did was illegal. Any American who cares about justice knows this is illegal. If Bush did this to Obama. I would say it's illegal. All you had was one statement. If Russia has those emails, I hope they give it to me. I said it last podcast. I'll keep saying it till this is over. That's all he really said. From then on, you had nothing. You made up a dossier with some bullshit off CNNI. About he likes to get golden showers and crazy shit. You haggle the warrant and you spied on an opposition campaign. It was my first gut reaction when this all broke. I can't believe they spied on the opposition. But when you're talking Obama, why would I be surprised? They use the IRS. They left people on a building in Benghazi. 
And they spied on Fox News. They put wiretaps on Fox News. Because they thought he was giving up information. All the while, his Secretary of State has a shitter fucking server that's literally rolling out all sorts of top secret shit next to the toilet paper. And our media is is just like Tucker said last podcast two days ago. The collusion really is the media. How we cover these are night and day. Night and day. When When Obama spied, it was, oh, he's protecting America. When Bush spied, he's taking away civil liberties. Yet Obama did the same thing. I mean, you really look at everything that ever is upsetting to the fucking left, which is the media. It was happening under Obama, and they didn't care. They don't even try to shield or pretend or have any pretense of objectivity from the border policy to wiretapping to drone programs. Mr. Enlightened Anointed gonna change everything walked right in and did all the same shit and supersized it with some extra fucking damn fries and an apple pie. We were told that Bush is creating more terrorists with his drone programs. Obama took out whole villages. Oh, he's a good guy. It's just pathetic. And so was the next subject. Here are some of the sound bites from the social media hearings that the media pretty much ignored. Uh, There have been multiple instances of, in particular, pro-life groups being disfavored. For example, uh, here is a tweet uh, that says, abortion is profoundly anti-women, and it's a quote from Mother Teresa. And this tweet was blocked. Now, Now, it is fairly remarkable that Mother Teresa is now deemed hate speech. This committee is going to attempt to understand and quantify if there is a disparate treatment or not. If there's not a disparate treatment, that'll benefit Twitter to show that you're being even-handed. The anecdotes we're aware of are consistently on one side of the aisle. Has Facebook, to your knowledge, ever blocked a post from Planned Parenthood? I I believe that is correct. Uh, I believe we have, uh, Senator. Okay, I, we would be very interested in learning about that. When I asked Facebook that in writing after, the, after Mr. Zuckerberg's hearing, you again refused to answer that question as well. That was some good shit. Ben Sass mentioned an incident where a pro-life post featuring Mother Teresa quote was taken down. He asked, do you believe that pro-life position is tantamount to hate speech? He predicted that under scrutiny they would say no for the sake of appearance, but press further. Tell us what the debate looks like inside your company about hate speech and about extreme viewpoints. Can you define hate speech? Facebook representatives claim that the company defined hate speech as attacks against protected characteristics like race, gender, religion, nationality, ethnicity, sexual orientation, as well as serious disabilities. In a politically correct environment where honest facts are considered sexist, racist, or transphobic, the truth could be considered hate speech. The representative continued, we define attack to meaning something like using words that are dehumanizing, call for violence, contempt, or disgust, exclusion, or segregation. Of course, conservatives, conservatism is based around natural law, which can be considered exclusionary by inclusion-obsessed liberals. 
saying men and women are fundamentally different and should use different restrooms based upon their national sex, natural sex could be considered segregation. Senator Cruz later called back to his interchange saying he found it curious how Facebook representatives omitted gender from the list of protected characteristic. Misgendering has been considered a bannable offense on places like Twitter and transphobia. Instead, itself is one of the newest identity politics related hysterics. Cruz also cited Facebook's refused to answer whether it considered Christian views on marriage, specifically being against same-sex marriage, to be hate speech. He followed this by observing how Facebook, in its own words, is committed to removing content that encourages real-world harm, including but not limited to physical, financial, or emotional injury. Cruz described the idea of banning emotionally hurtful speech as nebulous standards. Cruz followed by giving an example from his own family history of how hurtful conversations should be not be banned. My family, my aunt, was imprisoned and tortured in Cuba by Castro's goons. In terms of emotional injury, I find it offensive. People who praise Fidel Castro, the man of the people, and yet I would wager a $1,000 that Facebook does not consider language praising Fidel Castro as hate speech. Even though for families that have suffered and been tortured as goons' hands that cause emotional injury. Do you agree with me? Cruz hammered home his point. None of us have the right to live in a world free of being offended. Although in a free country like America, we do have the ability to argue against it. So if someone defends Castro as a man of the people, I'm more than happy to have the conversation with them. But silencing voices we disagree with is quantitatively different. He tweeted it. Abortion is profound anti-woman. Mother Teresa. Exact quote. Abortion is profoundly anti-woman. Three quarters of its victims are women, half the babies, and all the mothers. That was censored on Facebook. It was considered hate speech. Molly Prince, Ted Cruz displays an S-ball list tweet that was blocked on Twitter. It was a quote from Mother Teresa that said, abortion is profoundly anti-woman. Is this hate speech? Twitter and Facebook were speechless, just crickets. Susan B. Anthony List did the same thing. SBA List has been fighting censorship of our content for more than two years. Marilyn Musgrave is testifying about our social media censorship. Read the multiple examples of how our posts have been censored by Twitter, Facebook, and Google. 3817 SBA List promotes four tweets from our president, Majority Danzelforth. One was immediately rejected with Twitter signing violation of the health and pharmaceutical product and services policy. It was the quote from Mother Teresa. For 1217, SBA list made a Twitter and campaign urging constituents to ask their legislators to pass a health care bill that stopped taxpayer funding of parenthood, Planned Parenthood. Twitter informed us that our account was ineligible to participate in Twitter ads. September 2017, Twitter blocks an SBA list video ad advocating John Adams for Attorney General of Virginia, stating that it was unacceptable to use the phrase Killing babies. Jesus fucking Christ. See how they find everything? Between October 9th and November 1st, 2018, Facebook banned seven of our paid ads supporting candidates. Brief image of premature babies born at 22 to 24 weeks when unborn children could be legally aborted were deemed sensational or graphic content. You wait till the latest in our hate speech or our, 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 our violent left section. What they want to ban now has to do with airplanes and skyscrapers. I shit you not. 
Uh, Facebook and Google blocked our research and education arm. Charlotte Lozer Institute video ads featuring patients who were helped by ethical adult stem cell treatment. Google claimed we were trying to sell pharmaceuticals. Jesus Christ. But we and Leela Grace Rose are banned from ads because Twitter considers pro-life content inflammatory. We were demanded to scrub our site. Can you fucking believe that? I can! I mean, I can totally believe it. It doesn't surprise me. It's not about hate speech. We, we talk about it all the time. Nothing is hateful. It is opposing views that they will not allow to be heard in the public sphere. Abortion to them is the biggest issue. That and gays, just, we, we got to protect them. we got to protect the right of women to go abort their babies whenever they want. It's a fucking religion. Because they have no religion. None of the networks covered this. Th- this is fucking the, the, the issue of our time. Are we going to be a country that allows free speech? Are we going to allow our tech companies to censor out all opposing views and just put out progressive dogma? I mean, me and my wife were talking about this last night. We're embarrassed that we own Google products. Verizon, that was the phone. It was a nice phone. I got stuck on all the... Google Nexus, and then the Google Pixel, and it's a great phone. But it's embarrassing that I pay money for it. Because this is a company that censors me out. They don't want my opinion on marriage, abortion, terrorism, politics, family structure. Jesus, even liking Chick-fil-A makes me an evil person to Google. Twitter. I don't see a lot of my tweets for important people. I tweeted back to AOC about that story I just mentioned that we'll talk about in a few minutes. I literally didn't see it. It went out, but it's not on our feed. Facebook, I walked away from. I just got sick of it. And what is more American than opposing views. What is more American than people having a civil discourse over the issues? It's what made us the country we are. But now, the wordsmiths have taken everything and made it hate speech or something you can't say because they didn't want to have the conversation because they can't win the conversation. I mean, literally think about the abortion issue itself. They say science is on their side. When we're finding out at 8 to 10 weeks there's a heartbeat on a baby, and they say that's not science. I mean, seriously. I say it every podcast. The left has become factless. They've always been about emotion, but now they're factless. 
When the facts get in the way, they censor them out. And as we go to our first music break, and then we're going into our violent left, even Chris Cuomo admits Twitter is left-leaning. Democrats are united when it comes to opposing this president and his machinations with his different members of his cabinet. But within the party, the Democratic Party itself, there's an identity crisis, moderates versus progressives. If you're part of the conversation on social media, you probably think the party is lurching to the left, progressives all but taking over. But a New York Times analysis of new voter data revealed something else. The Democratic electorate online is not the actual Democratic electorate. In fact, all those outspoken, dem-leaning voters are outnumbered by just about two to one by more moderate, more diverse, and less educated groups of Democrats who do not typically post political content online. It is they who will decide the Democratic presidential nomination. Let's bring in D. Lemon. Now, I will certainly get beaten up on Twitter for what I just said. But I'll take my bow here, because I always say the loudest voices aren't necessarily the majority, and they aren't always right. And you know, I always get on you because I say, Chris, why do you respond to people who have two followers or because a, I'm engaged. Want to identify themselves? I'm hoi polloi, not hoity toy. Oh my gosh, it's not even it. What I'm telling you is that they don't even represent the electorate. It, Twitter is an outrage machine. Everybody goes there to be outraged. True. The headline would be, nobody on Twitter was outraged today, or very few people. Fair point. Yeah. So I just, and I, 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 I do think that in this, there is a lesson for Democrats, and I also think there is a lesson for the media as well. And I think there's a lesson for conservatives. Number one, we'll start with the conservatives. It it says that this party is not the group of socialists that you're making it out to be. For the media, it means you should pay less attention to those loud voices and the criticism from online. And for Democrats, is that is you should be more concerned about your uh, traditional Democratic center-left candidates because they are probably the ones who will get you to the presidency you know what, more though? so than the Because the, the media left. vibes so much off Twitter, and let's be honest why they do it. They do it because it's easy. Why right. dig for real sources when you can just get some guy on Twitter whose face may or may not be his own as a source for your reporting. Mm-hmm. But it brings fame to the new women warriors in the party. AOC comes to mind. She's already a set of initials in yeah. the political parlance. But you know who gets it? Pelosi. Yeah. She has been saying all along, impeachment? I don't know.
you think you could tell? Heaven from hell, blue skies from pain. Can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail? A smile from a veil. Do you think you can tell? Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. 
bullies don't win. And I said, baby, they don't. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach them all. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. It's the same that I expect. So when you have people on Fox News that question whether I'm actually American or I put America first, I expect my colleagues to also say that's not okay like that they should that condone that morning. and call that out exactly on the on the on the friendly right or when or when people morning, call they, uh, me a terrorist or when yeah. people say you know that um because i i i'm a muslim i'm an immigrant i'm a refugee mm -hmm. that i can't have any loyalty to our country i took an oath I took an oath to uphold the Constitution. I am as American as everyone else is. And and the, the, this kind of double standard really is, is quite, you know, um, offensive and is very much embedded in a lot of our culture these days where you will have people get come after minorities for things that they say, they might have insinuated. Mm -hmm. But no one goes after um, people like uh, the, the folks on Fox and Friends that actually say those words. It's not about insinuation, mm -hmm. right? They actually said that I might not be an American. My loyalties might not be to this country. But I get called out. They don't. They get to I keep mean, their I show. Say, I would say... That is Eon, Minnesota, bemoaning her treatment for her comment. Some people did something. Big chunk of this got pulled out when I got done. It's our This Is America, because this woman just, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do with her. I mean, seriously, I don't know what to do. Representative E.R. Omar appeared to suggest on Wednesday night that people should go after the folks on Fox and Friends and, uh, and that Fox and Friends should lose their show for criticizing her remarks after the 9-11 terror attack. Appearing on a late show, Omar portrayed herself as a victim of political attacks, as did host Stephen Colbert, and at no point in the show did either of the two ever tell the audience what Omar said that ignited the criticism. Earlier this week, a video clip, blah, 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 we already heard it. So when you have people on Fox News that question whether I'm actually American and I put America first, I expect my colleagues to also say that's not okay. This kind of double standard is really quite offensive. It is very much embedded in a lot of our culture these days. We still have people coming after minorities for things that they say, but they might have insinuated. But no one goes after people like folks on Fox and Friends. Early in the day, Omar falsely claimed that Fox News and... Dan Crenshaw were engaged in dangerous incitement. This is dangerous incitement given the death of threats I have faced. I hope leaders of both parties are joining me in condemning it. My love and commitment to our country and that all my colleagues should never be in question. We are all Americans. Don't worry, I'm going to explode in 10 seconds. So the Newsweek story that got her out here and we've got wave 75 of her anti-Semitism and, and horrible just horrible conduct. 
unapology, unapologetically defends her anti-Semitism. How Ian Omar is changing the conversation in Israel and upending the 2020 campaign. Broder Broder began with the APAC 2019 and immediately began his lengthy smear by bashing the videos between the speeches as short propaganda films about daily life in Israel, as if the reality of Israelites have a deal with terrorism caused by Hamas's debatable fretting from the videos. Effect was to total immersion, sight, sound, and speeches in pro-Israel experience. Running defense for Omar and those on the American left that show at minimum a discomfort with the Jewish people, Broder complained that Republican speakers dispensed with the usual com- comedy, committee, anti-Semitism had infected the entire Democratic Party, one of the most toxic charges in American politics. To be sure, Omar and Tlaib are no friends of Israel, and while defenders acknowledge they could be more sensitive in their language, they reject the accusation that they are anti-Semites. Jesus. It goes worse from there. It basically just says that she's a good person. Uh, This diminutive Omar has the most vulnerable and visible of Israel's critics, embraces the role of political provocateur, approaching matters from the viewpoint of those who have been victimized by the war and U.S. policies abroad. He then cited her mauling of longtime diplomat Elliot Abrams in February. Omar and her progressive colleagues are a revelation. APAC, in fact, does not endorse or raise money for candidates, but instead works behind the scenes to support and defeat candidates. So again, it's okay. Meanwhile, Omar seems determined to push the boundaries. Both Omar and Tlaib have received death threats in February. Blah, blah, blah. The 2020 election cycle now underway. GOP leaders are seizing upon the broader anti-bigotry, peddling a false assertion. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. See, they're playing the card. This is the left's way. They've always done it. You're black. You're Latina. You're gay. You are untouchable. You can say whatever the fuck you want. So she's trying to make it work. But it's just not conservative. New York Post, Representative Ian Omar, 9-11 was some people did something. And it's a picture of the towers exploding with 2,977 people dead by terrorism. Amber Affy, the full context is almost worse. Because immediately after saying 9-11 is, some people did something and not a reason to blame Muslims who had nothing to do with the attack. She calls a New Zealand part, uh, the New Zealand attack tragedy and blames Trump. That's what she did. Don't worry. We're going to play it at the end because the full context of this is fucking horrible. So then she tries to get cute. As the day goes on. She's getting hammered. Everybody, the left just ran away from her. The people and the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. President George W. Bush. Was Bush downplaying the terrorist attack? What if he was a Muslim? That's her tweet from WAPO. 
Armar argued that even a good Muslim may find roadblocks in the United States and that they was the moment to stand up for one's right. Once you're willing to stand up for yourself, then others will show up for you, she said. She ticked off several examples, such as Muslims being unable to find a place to pray in a hospital, even in a country that was founded on religious liberties. To me, I say, raise hell, she says. Make people uncomfortable. I was attached to this. I don't know what the fuck it has to do with it. But she uses George W. Bush. Now, Let's do a game really quick. Let's listen to George W. Bush Bush, and Omar side by side, and let's discuss. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people... was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. What the fuck, Chuck? I, I just think this lady is nothing but a fucking gigantic Islamist troll. James A. Galagi, you know, I can't say his name, he was there. President Bush made this statement days after World Trade Center reduced to rubble as he stood atop the smoking pile. I was there. We in FBI were working to determine a involvement conspiracy following evidence. Your false equivalency statement made 17 years later. There's nothing quite as strong as saying, I was there. You're an eyewitness, and I saw it on television. It was emotionally moved in Austin, Texas. I can't imagine the feelings of those in New York who saw and heard this statement. She took a great, iconic American moment. And shit on it, because she's a fucking piece of shit Islamist. She's an Islamist from Somalia, a country that killed a lot of our people, and we should have fucking raised that country. But we never did, because a Democrat was in charge. Momo. So what you're saying is if you support the invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq, the war on terror, and the Patriot Act? Fascinating. Fa- uh, another one. Jay Caruso, he pushed the whole video of Bush will watch it and gain some understanding of the absurdity of comparing her comments with this. Liz Weather. Remember the time President Bush stood on the rubble at Twin Towers and flippantly waved his hand and described his surroundings as some people did something? Oh wait, no. That's disgusting description was from you. Bush beat the hell out of terrorists. You trivialized them. I'm going to enjoy watching the people who threw their lot in with her being forced to die on these hills over and over. And he's right. They keep defending her. Now Gardiner, another appalling remark from Omar, a complete absence of compassion for the thousands who died on 9-11 at the hands of Islamist terrorism. Ben Shapiro, that quote was Bush threatening the perpetrators on 9-11, not downplaying their evil. But she's moved on from it. She's just gone back to back. Now she's on to women, especially women of color, have been told to, 
to go slow, to not be seen and not be heard for many years. We are not in Congress to be invisible. In the words of Congressman John Lewis, we are here to make good trouble. People responding. Instead, you choose the path to display your radicalism towards Jews and now against innocent Americans who lost their lives on 9-11. Undermining the 9-11 will definitely make trouble, but I won't characterize this as good trouble when almost 3,000 Americans lost their lives. Actually, you're there to represent your constituents, not be the biggest anti-Semite since Robert Byrd. <laughs> but, you know, the media... They're just defending her. They're skipping over that Farrakhan went to this Nipsey Hustle Memorial, which I, I just don't understand why we give a fuck about some rapper. And then a tweet from a couple weeks ago pops up. Ian Omar, we must confront that our nation was founded by genocide and we maintain global power through neocolonialism. But, you know... The media still trots out the idiotos. Here is the first idioto soundbite of Talib and AOC. I know that there's something else that has been on your mind and on a lot of folks' minds, and that is some comments and some, some backlash now to Congresswoman Elon Omar after some comments surfaced this week in which, and I want to play it, she said something about the 9-11 attacks. I want to talk about your reaction to the backlash and your reaction to the comment in two pieces. So here's that remark, Congresswoman. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. And it's that, that phrase, people did something, that is being picked up on by some of the Congresswoman's critics, including, for example, the cover of the New York Post, which I will ask you about in a second. But on these remarks themselves, some people did something as a reference to 9-11. Do you think she should have rethought her words? Do you no, worry no. about the appropriateness of that? It, they do this all the time to us, especially women of color. They do that. They take our words out of context because they're afraid because we speak truth. We speak truth to power. My sister, Ilhan Omar, she, what she was talking about was uplifting people by supporting their civil liberties and civil rights. She has always always condemned any strategy, especially if a person that's directly impacted by being a refugee herself. She sees what terrorism can do. She sees what violence can do to a whole country, to a whole people. Taking it out of context, this is just pure racist act by many of those, hateful acts by those, because she does speak truth when it talks about different issues that they don't disagree with. And I'm really outraged because as the level to which Republican and conservative groups, whether they are official party apparatuses, sending out emails, calling me and others domestic terrorists, or whether it's Rupert Murdoch and the New York Post, printing on the front page to circulate all around New York City an image that is incredibly upsetting and triggering for New Yorkers that were actually there and were actually in the radius that woke up one morning or were in their schools and didn't know if they were going to see their parents at the end of the day to elicit such an image for such a transparently and politically motivated attack on Ilhan. This is, we are getting to the level where, the, where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women of color. And if 
they can't figure out how to get it back to policy, we need to call it out for what it is. Because this is not normal, and this is not a normal level of po political debate or rhetoric. As, as wild as it can get sometimes, this is something beyond what is normal. So once again, they know it's bad. They know what she said's fucked up. They know that this girl's an Islamist, but they are too. They hate America. So AOC just goes into full retard mode. Members of Congress have a duty to respond to the president's explicit attack today. Ilion, Minnesota's life is in danger for our colleagues to be silenced, to be complicit in the outright dangerous targeting of a member of Congress. We must speak out. First they came. This is from the Holocaust Museum. She's equating the attacks on Omar to the Holocaust, and Omar's down with the Holocaust. She thought it was a good thing because she hates fucking Jews. And it's on their wall. First they came for the socialist and... I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Martin Nemolet. She had the balls to tweet to the Holocaust. This lady's an anti-Semite, and you tweet the Holocaust? But that's not the stupidest thing. This, now remember, black women, gay, you can't speak to us. We're unapproachable. And they're the left. They want to censor things. When they don't agree with it, they want to censor it. So this is what AOC wants to censor now. official party apparatuses, sending out emails, calling me and others domestic terrorists, or whether it's Rupert Murdoch and the New York Post, printing on the front page to circulate all around New York City an image that is incredibly upsetting and triggering for New Yorkers that were actually there and were actually in the radius that woke up one morning or were in their schools and didn't know if they were going to see their parents at the end of the day to elicit such an image for such a transparently and politically motivated attack on Ilhan. This is, we are getting to the level where, the, where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women of color. And if they can't figure out how to get it back to policy. We need to call it out for what it is because this is not normal and this is not a normal level of political debate or rhetoric. As, as wild as it can get sometimes, this is something beyond what is normal. Censor 9-11 photos. Yeah, you the people shouldn't see that. You shouldn't be reminded that Muslim extremist Islamists are our enemy. You shouldn't be reminded they chopped people's heads off. You shouldn't be reminded of all the people that were abducted and had their heads chopped off. You shouldn't be reminded of all the toil that we spent clearing the Middle East of bad people to let Obama open the door and let him have it all again because he made a campaign promise. You shouldn't remember the 6,700 killed Americans in the war on terror. You should not remember that. 
Because we don't agree with it. Censor it. Take it off the boards. We make the rules. We're progressives. I mean, for fuck's sake, people. How the fuck did these pieces of shit get elected to be officials in our fucking government? You talk about Trump. Trump's in check. He has a media up his ass with a goddamn fucking power scope. The motherfucker can't even eat without being criticized. You let these three idiotos run around and be jackasses, nobody cares. So we close this embarrassing moment and we're going to come back to it because we're going to play 10 minutes of her goddamn care speech because we played the first part which made fun of Jews then we made played the second part which is some people did something well then there's the part where it's Trump's fault this and she starts talking about our Muslim shit and I just want you to listen to it because I want you to come back and see, see that I'm not some fucking xenophobe she's an Islamist I met more chill terrorists than her in Afghanistan. This woman is a true believer. So here's Omar saying that original soundbite we played about a month ago, making fun of American soldiers and Al-Qaeda, and MSNBC trucking out. You heard part of it. Here's the full. Rashida Tlaib, impeach the motherfucker. Yes, she is going to lecture us on civility, because MSDNC thought that made sense. Go straight into immigration with Anderson Cooper having a conversation with Colbert, which is nothing more than another show for MSDNC every night. And they're talking about a black hole, and this supposed journalist, yeah, I did air quotes, he gets from the black hole to Trump's border wall? What the fuck, Chuck? I remember um, when I was in college, I took uh, a terrorism class. And is that a such thing? Yeah, there was. So there you was, go. Out, there is a lab for that. There was. A, there was a class that you. Do you go to lab? No, we learned the ideology of. I'm glad um, you do that. <laughs> and so it was. It was the the thing that was interesting in the class was every time the 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 professor said Al Qaeda, he sort of like his shoulders <laughs> went up and you know. Yeah, he's in command like, here. Al Qaeda, you know, hospital. He's an expert. <laughs> And it was, you know, What's as his it, name? As, what to put his oh, name on here. We, we are not saying his name. Uh, yeah. you, you probably get to see him on, on CNN. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. I love those guys. But, you know, but, but, but it, is, it is that you don't say America with an yeah. intensity. You yeah. don't say England with yeah. an intensity. You yeah. know, you don't, you don't say um, the army with an intensity. Carter. <laughs> But you say these these names because you you want that that word to carry weight. Care was founded after 9/11 because they recognized that some people did something, and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. And it's that that phrase, "some people did something," that is being picked up on by some of the Congresswoman's critics, including, for example, the cover of the New York Post, which I will ask you about in a second. But on these remarks themselves, "some people did something" as a reference to 9/11. Do you think she should have rethought her words? Do you no, worry no. about the appropriateness of that? It, 
She talked about this a little bit on the Colbert show last night. She wasn't directly asked about those 9-11 comments, but she was asked just in general about the idea that she is, as she put it, a lightning rod because she, she thinks that where our nation is right now, there are many members of the community who do have a lot of different identities, immigrants, refugees, women of color, people of color, minorities, Muslims, and she embodies all of those sort of in, in one person, as one identity, and feels that that has made her a target of criticism. And I want to ask you how you see that, what your reaction is to that. Um, and, and to be clear, it sounds like you're saying you don't think she should have rethought her words. You think her words are being taken out of context and you're, you're comfortable with what she said um, and not with the criticism she's received. Jeff Tubin, I mean, uh, what do you make of this idea? Well, my, my first reaction was, huh? I mean, really? I mean, the idea of using these human beings as a kind of pestilence to spread around the country, I mean, it, it is so grotesque. It, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth when you said, you know, these are human beings, and to treat them like a form of, of, of plague that you want to impose on your enemies is, is really grotesque. Now, I guess the good news we can say is that it, it hasn't happened, or at least it hasn't happened yet, but I think it's indicative of the attitude towards uh, illegal immigrants or undocumented citizens, undocumented people, whatever term you want to use, as something less than human. And uh, all I can say is I'm glad it didn't come to fruition. Steve Cortez, uh, I know this is the first you're hearing of it as well. Right. I mean, look, you, I think you can probably understand that I'm obviously not going to accept the Washington Post word for it. So I want to see these emails. I want to see evidence okay. of the story assuming they're talking it, about. Assuming they exist and, and the whistleblowers are telling the truth no, and but, to Congress, you don't want to assume anything. I mean, but, I, mean, I mean, I don't go down that road, you know, right? And, and I would say this, too, by the way. I don't believe we should be releasing anyone who crosses the border illegally, much less targeting where they're released. If you cross the border illegally, you should be detained. So, I, but, I can't but the idea of targeting in the first place, targeting specific districts uh, for political enemies with right. uh, illegal immigrants or undocumented workers, that is not something you would support. Of what course. You're saying. Right. Uh, Max, Max Boot, I mean, I, when you and I, when I first mentioned this to you while we were during a break, you said, like, you thought this almost it sounded like an article from The Onion, like, right. so, so absurd that right. it couldn't be real. <laughs> no, exactly. It's hard to believe that somebody would take this as a serious proposal. Like, a lot of stuff that happens in the Trump administration, you don't know whether to laugh or to cry. I mean, it is so ridiculous. And I think it indicates basically two things, Anderson. One is, A, the crazy level of partisanship in this White House. And the fact that the president is calling his enemies treasonous is an indication of the same thing, that they will stop at nothing to hurt their political enemies. But two, I think what it also indicates, Anderson, is their intellectual bankruptcy on the issue of immigration and how frantic and panicked they are because there was a record number of uh, undocumented arrivals in March, 92,000 highest level in 12 years. They're freaking out in the White House. They don't know what to do about it. This is why Trump is lashing out. He's purging the Department of Homeland Security. But they don't actually have a workable policy solution. And they're, that's why they're talking again about reviving this horrible idea of separating children or, uh, or this crazy idea. We've got to get a break in. Max Boot, thank you. Jeffrey Tubin, Steve Cortez as well. Up next, more on this breaking news. Plus, CNN's Dana Bash on the border late today with Vice President Pence. What he has to say about the president's applying the label treasonous to Democrats who oppose him on immigration policy. 
You're obsessed with this black hole. Oh, it's very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. It's, it, I, you know, when I was reading about it, it's one of those things that, do you remember when you were a kid and you were told that, like, if you chewed Pop Rocks and drank soda at the same time, you would die, they would explode? That's true. That is true. That's what I feel like reading about the black hole. Like, it blows my mind. How is space endless? Like, what, what does that mean? How is that possible? What does endless mean? I'm not sure if it actually is endless. It's not, what, what, does it stop? Uh, there's some is weird there concept where space is bent. Is that where the wall actually exists? Somewhere in deep outer space? I don't know. All new. All new. That's right. If you tear the more down, we build, the less and less. If you, <laughs> if you tear down an old wall and you replace it in the exact same spot, new wall. it's new wall. It's new wall. It's new wall. It's yes. New wall. Mexico still hasn't paid for it, but it's... Allegedly new wall in the upside down universe we now live in. Uh, big wave of of rewriting history as the leftover always does. The, the, you know there was a lot of pushback on hey Obama did this nobody wanted to hear it today blah blah blah. You know Nick Muroff it kind of sums up where we're at. Um, it, the March numbers are insane. Honduras has displaced Mexico as the number two source of unauthorized made, uh, migration. Guatemala has been number one since November. Last month was the busiest February at the border in 12 years. 31K referrals for medical care up from 12K. These numbers are bonkers, and they are. Um, Judge stressed the fact that while there were this, there were years where we had up to 1.5 million apprehensions during the 90s and 2000s, those were total arrests, not total numbers of people arrest. Um, absolute worst he's seen in 21 years. Uh, last decade, we arrested the same people multiple times in one year. For example, I caught the same group of seven people three times in the same shift. So although I, I made 21 arrests, it was still only seven people. And then the master troll pulled out what I think is the just the smartest thing I've ever heard a politician say. Media lost it. Um, they... And by the way, I had a media Omar. I'm not going to play it because you already know what they did. Uh, but And I'm not playing it on this because you already know what they're going to say. Uh, I'm trying to cut down the podcast. That's how I can do it. But this is just perfect. Due to the fact that Democrats are unwilling to change our very dangerous immigration laws, we are indeed, as reported, giving strong considerations to placing illegal immigrants in sanctuary cities only. The radical left always seems to have an open borders, open arms policy, so this should make them very happy. <laughs> Ed Malarkey, Trump's plan to release migrants into enemy cities as if they are some kind of contagion is irrehensible. Trump is obsessed with the border and sanctuary cities because he only wins by dividing people. Pelosi on Trump suggesting he'll send migrants to sanctuary cities. It's just another notion that he is unworthy of the presidency of the United States. Alyssa Milano, this is so sick and twisted. White House proposed releasing immigrant detainees in sanctuary cities targeting political foes. We've been through this before. Weaponizing human being is inhumane. And one person tweeted it, and then I'll go into my rant, but you act like these immigrants are undesirable. What's wrong with placing them in sanctuary cities? You know, I trolled Twitter last night for the first time in a while. I, I usually stay away from it because, you know, it, it doesn't do any good. It's not good discourse, let's be honest. Um, folks, 
This is just saving America money. You want these people. You want them to bump your rolls. You want them to vote for you. You want the Electoral College. You want them to be able to vote. We spend all this millions of dollars trucking these motherfuckers all over the country illegally, and they end up in your areas anyway. So why don't we just cut to the chase? Get a bunch of greyhounds. As across the board, we load them up, we just dump them in you. Or is it you don't want them? Because you know they're criminals. Not all of them, but a lot of them are criminals. That's why they left their country. Or is it even more devious plan? Your plan is to seed the red states with these people so you can win the red states. Because everything for you is just a vote. Which is it, Dems? Pelosi, the whole lot, lost their fucking minds on this. And I just think it's funny as shit. You're the one that wants open borders. You're the one as have checked the president so he can't release the kids. He can't release the people. He can't do anything with them. I mean, he's just blocked. He can't apprehend them. I mean, I heard a great breakdown on this on, on uh, the John Gibson podcast this week. And with the Florida ruling and the new latest rulings that have come down from these liberal judges that have no authority over immigration, so it's all bullshit, there's nothing the president can do. And Congress, with our shitty-ass Republicans, they should have done this, but they didn't when they owned everything. They have to make laws. So the laws on the books as they are put him in a checkmate. So regardless of what he does, he's wrong. He's just wrong. So I think this is brilliant. And I think as an American, this is the best thing for America. We're going to let him in anyway. You can't separate them, you can't uh, detain them because there's no room anymore because you limited the beds, you took away resources, Democrats. You want them, you fucking get them. And to say that this is all bullshit, this is how it works anyway. You're the ones with the fucking sanctuary cities they are going to end up there anyway. They'll migrate there because they'll get detained in red states who actually obey the fucking law. I mean, come on. Then we had this this week. Ohio heartbeat bill. God, this pissed a lot of people off. Today, Ohio's governor signed a law heavily restricting abortion, the second new law on the subject just this week, and opponents are gearing up for a fight. Hallie Jackson has the details. The Ohio governor signing today what critics condemn as the most restrictive abortion law in the country. And what supporters celebrate as a victory, one certain to be challenged in court. It's the essential function of government to protect those who cannot protect themselves. The law bans abortions once a doctor detects a fetal heartbeat, which can happen as early as six weeks. This year alone, 13 other states have introduced or advanced similar legislation. Texas lawmakers just introduced an extreme bill, unlikely to pass, that could punish women who have abortions with the death penalty. And in North Dakota, a different new law makes it a felony for doctors to use surgical instruments, like clamps, in second trimester abortions. Tammy Kromanacker runs the state's only abortion clinic in Fargo. Each patient is unique, and our doctor needs to be able to make um, decisions about what kind of care a patient is going to receive. The doctor's hands would be tied with this bill. 
Supporters of more restrictive laws appear increasingly emboldened 46 years after the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling protecting reproductive rights. The anti-abortion movement is looking at this newly conservative Supreme Court and hoping that Trump's new justices, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, will vote to overturn a precedent that's almost 50 years old. Abortion rights advocates argue the new moves are unconstitutional, with the legal fight headed from the states to the justices. So they trotted out Cecile Richards, extreme GOP pro-lifers, misogyny is an organizing force, and... Newsweek, everybody, WAPO, New York Times. They lost their minds. It won't stand because they're going to block it. They'll get another activist judges to block it, just like they've done the other ones. But I I have to report it because, remember, these are the people that want to kill everybody. They want to kill all the babies. We shouldn't be procreating because of climate change. And more and more states. I mean, this is Ohio. That used to... uh, Obama won Ohio. Remember that? Yeah. The Hill... Illinois Senate passes bill that would keep Trump off 2020 ballot unless he releases his tax returns. Lawmakers in Illinois have advanced legislation to require President Trump to release five years of tax returns in order to appear on the state's 2020 presidential ballot. The Illinois State Senate voted 36-19 on Thursday to pass the bill, which now moved to the state's Democrat-controlled House. If you want to run for vice president or president of the United States, hey, what's wrong with providing tax returns? Are, are you serious? You're fucking children. So, we now go into our violent phase. And I'm going to start it with Hollywood. We're then going to go to an article from the Boston Globe. And then we're going to play attack after attack after attack. You ready? Let's start with the good fight. It's time to go punch some Nazis. It's electioneering. It's a t-shirt. A t-shirt displaying a political message. Sir, sir, could you come over here, please? That's not electioneering. Is marijuana one of the candidates? Referencing a Democratic campaign slogan. That wasn't a campaign slogan. It wasn't even from this Wait, election. enough. Give me a second here. What's the problem? Sir, you can't enter this polling place to vote. Come on. You are welcome to return in a content-neutral shirt later. I have to head to work. I'm sorry, rules are rules. You can come back later to vote in a content-neutral shirt. One vote could mean a difference in this election. What if he takes his shirt off? Right. It's not electioneering if he's not in his shirt. Vote without a shirt. Why not? There's no law against yes, it. Yes, but it offends the decorum of, of what? the inst- this cafeteria. Sir, if you prefer, you can vote now, but you'll have to take off your shirt. But you don't have to. Excuse me, let him decide for himself. It's chilly in here. That's all we're saying. It's not that cold. It's his decision. Stop talking. You're the one not letting him decide. Hold on, hold on. It's up to you, sir. You can vote now if you take off your shirt, but you don't have to. Great choice, sir. I can go vote now? Yes, sir. Cool. Congratulations. Hey, that's offensive. Swastika doesn't mean a Republican voter. All of you so. outside again. Go. Are you sure? Unprovoked. I was always taught to never throw the first punch, never instigate, defend, don't attack. But then I saw a video of the white nationalist Richard Spencer being punched in the face during an interview and I realized Spencer was in a pressed suit 
wearing a tie, being interviewed like his opinion mattered, like it should be considered part of the conversation, like neo-Nazism was just one political point of view. And then I realized there's no better way to show some speech is not equal. Some speech requires a more visceral response. It's like Overton's window. That's the term from which ideas are tolerated in public discourse. Well, Overton's window doesn't mean shit unless it comes with some enforcement. So yeah, this is enforcement. It's time to punch a few Nazis. It's always great when Chris Cuomo is backed up by Hollywood, right? Morally okay. Sounds fucking good. Stephen Miller kind of surfaces it nicely as we go into our violent spot. Hey, remember when Dems said Republicans are trying to kill everyone by overturning health care or climate policy or net neutrality and a Bernie Sanders campaign worker shot up an entire baseball field full of GOP members on Congress and it was out of the news in four days? Yeah. Well, none of these are in the news. Boston Globe publishes the edit op-ed then edits op-ed encouraging waiters to tamper with Trump official foods. Boston Globe found itself in hot water on Wednesday after publishing an opinion piece for a man who said he regretted not pissing on a neoconservative pundit's food and encouraging waiters to tamper with food of outgoing Homeland Security Secretary Kristen Nielsen. The article titled, Keep Kristen Nielsen Unemployed and Eat Grubhub Over a Kitchen Sink, was written by Luke O'Neill, a former waiter and occasional writer for the Globe. The article now has an editor's note at the top and has been stealth edited for tone. The article originally began, one of the biggest regrets of my life was not pissing on Bill Crystal Salmon. It was waiting on the disgraced neoconservative pundit of the chief Iraq war cheerleader about 10 years ago at a restaurant in Cambridge. And to my eternal dismay, some combination of professionalism and pulse anatomy prevented me from appropriately seasoning his entree. A ramekin of blood on the side might have been the better option. Come to think of it, he always did seem really thirsty for the stuff. Crystal's a former founder and editor of Weekly Standard, which doesn't do it. O'Neill originally concluded the op-ed encouraging food service employees to tamper with the food of a Trump official. As for waiters out there, I'm not saying you should tamper with anyone's food, as that could get you in trouble. You might lose your serving job, but you'd be serving America, and if you won't have any regrets years later like me. The editor's note at the top of the article now reads, A version of this column, as originally published, did not meet Globe standards, and it was changed. The Globe regrets the previous tone of the piece. You printed it. An editor looked at it. And once again, it is stealth edited. They didn't say they edited it. They didn't do a retraction. No. The final paragraph no longer suggests defiling the food of Republicans or former Trump officials. Instead, suggests food service workers tell them off and they visit the restaurant. And when they show up at your restaurant, you have my permission as official member of the mainstream media to tell them where to go and what they can do with themselves when they arrive there. But you know, said in a more specific and traditional Boston colloquialism. The Federalist noted that O'Neill's original conclusion paragraph has been have gone beyond the protections of First Amendment and is more aligned with the incitement than free speech. O'Neill defended his comments on Twitter, but has since protected his tweets. People who carry out policies of ethnic cleansing or cheerlead for disastrous wards leading to tens of thousands suffering or dead should not expect to be able to show their faces in public anymore. Thank you for understanding this basic premise. He tweeted in response to criticism from conservative pundit Caleb Hull. I am also a senior contributor to Federalist, Caleb Hull said, and I don't know why they put that in the article. So that's good. Yeah. Pee in people's food. Because we're 12-year-olds. 
Oh, but it doesn't start stop there. Here's the Sunrise Movement being arrested for once again protesting. We are building an army of young people to stop climate change. We can introduce legislation, but if the movement work is not happening, we're not going to win. And so you have to be doing this kind of incredible movement work. Bring it on, Koch brothers, because we have an activated sunrise uh, revolution that's taking place across this country. Yeah, they tweeted that. They were proud of themselves. The fight for the Green New Deal won't be won in closed-door meetings in Washington, D.C. It'll be won when millions of us mobilize. The road to the Green New Deal tour. Tickets on sale now. I wonder which means of transportation the Sunrise Movement would travel with, and everybody mocks them. It's a riverboat tour. It's solar-powered robo-horses. <laughs> Cap- uh, capitalist Nick's tweets, unreal, these elitist, hypocritical, ignorant neo-Marxists are still trying to promote the Green New Deal. The Green Dead Deal, I'm sorry. I guess the Justice Democrats' real goal is to raise the profile of AOC and future candidates who will run on the fantasy deal for the House. True. Then we have another mega hat attack. Please, I get time Congratulations, you're about to become famous. A very famous are you, model. Are you Brandon? Yes, I am. Dude, very nice to meet you. Thank you, nice yeah, to meet you too. Hat. Thank you. Please, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks, model. Now this starts out not evil, but aggressive, but ends in a way that shows the difference between liberals and conservatives. Brandon Straka, you us minority. At the airport with my mega hat on, this girl approached me to tell me I should be embarrassed. She said I'm a racist and POTUS is a racist. When I repeatedly asked why she replied, he just is, he just is. So I began recording and grabbing me and grabbed me twice. She will, she shall we make this model very famous. But unlike piece of shit progressives, he then did some discovering. My team identified the girl who harassed me at the airport. Upon researching her, we discovered that her mother was recently quite ill and a GoFundMe was started for her. Rather than perpetuating the animosity that was shown towards me today, I decided to transform rancor into love. I am donating to her mother's GoFundMe and wishing her and her family peace and wellness. Wouldn't it be something if every Trump supporter reading this gave a dollar to her family with a message of love signed from a Trump supporter? Please do not engage in any act of retaliation or hatred or unkindness toward this person. Let's show what makes America great, combating hate with love. This is what the walkaway campaign is all about. And he showed a picture of it. So many amazing Trump supporters stepped up to try to donate and do something positive, but she closed the GoFundMe rather than accept an act of kindness from a Trump supporter. What does that say? 
What does that say? That's the difference is what it says. These are fucking un-American, hateful people. They hate you because you won't believe like they do. And so many myriads of stupid, insignificant things. And when he turns the other cheek to be kind, she turns it away with a slap. That's just disgusting. But it sums up the resistance. It sums up the character of a person who would go to another human being in an airport and say, why are you wearing that hat? You're a racist. You know nothing about him, but you're going to say it. I mean, I'm about to do a family reunion type thing back in Oregon. I am so tempted at buying a mega hat. I'm not a huge Trump supporter. I mean, I'll vote for him against anybody they're running up now, just like I voted for him against Hillary. But I'm half tempted to put it on just wear it, just to piss people off. Instead, I'll wear my pro-life hat or my gun gods. Gun gods and no abortion. I think that's the hat. I can't remember what it is now. Um, then we have this one. Undercover video. Watch these. what filmmaker find when he attended UNC and Duke Summit on Israel. They should be ashamed. The veneer of being anti-Israel as an effort to hide their hatred of Jews was easily scratched away and devolved into open anti-Semitism. I'm Ami Horowitz, and I'm here on the campus of the University of North Carolina where UNC and Duke are holding a joint conference on the conflict in Gaza. So I came here to get a sense of the perspectives of the people attending the conference. This was a major conference with hundreds of students, professors, and administrators who spent a weekend bashing Israel and whitewashing the terrorist organization Hamas. If it only stopped there. This is a professor who I asked about her views on the spate of attacks in New York by black teens on Jews and synagogues. Blacks have a lot of also reason to be angry at Jews now. The conference wouldn't allow me to film inside, so my sound guy set me up with a hidden mic. With very little prodding, the veneer of being anti-Israel in an effort to hide their hatred of Jews was easily scratched away and devolved into open anti-Semitism. I first asked them about the most powerful modern anti-Semitic trope. Does Jewish money control U.S. government policy? U.S. government yeah, dollars. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You guys, not you guys. Yeah. Jewish lobbyists are very rich. And the Jewish lobby is influencing our government and how that's changing U.S. policy. That's, yeah, that's why I'm here. directly known wow. for everyone. With you on that one. <laughs> They're influencing our politics. You know, the, and the money rules the world. Yeah. No, meaning like um, makes the decision. I appreciate yeah. your courage. Oh, this is interesting what you are doing. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Impressive. I'm Jewish. I don't know. Is yeah, it... I, I could already tell. You didn't have to tell me. <laughs> I don't take offense to that yeah. at all. No, no. I mean, I appreciate people who are questioning their own background. Look at the treatment of Ethiopian Jews, right? Jews that are supposedly in the club, but they're Ethiopian, they're black. Like refugees who uh, come to Israel, assuming it's, you know, it's a Jewish state, have actually been sterilized in the past. Or you're you're at... telling me that the, I don't know, the yeah. Jewish government sterilized Ethiopian Jews... Mm-hmm. Coming into Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then, the featured entertainment for the event came on stage. He proceeded to, well, let's let the video do the talking. Antisemitism, This is my example. I know it sounds R&B stuff, but don't, don't, don't think of uh, Rihanna when you sing it. Think of, um, not, don't think of Beyonce. Think of Mel Gibson. 
Oh my god. Go dead, thank you, Samaria. Let's fly it together, because I need your help. I cannot be at this Samaria alone. Oh! I'm in love with the Jew. Beautifully anti Semitic. I'm going to have to ask you to read. Um, this oh, is, why? Um, the director does not want um, you, you know, to be the WWE, so And if you don't, I have to call the police. Well, are we causing trouble? We don't understand what your intentions are. We're and still asking you to leave the premises, sir. Just days after the conference, Swastikas were found on campus. 38 of the largest departments and schools at the University of North Carolina sponsored this event. It also got a federal grant of nearly a quarter of a million dollars. They should all be ashamed. Then last podcast, we talked about Michael Knowles, and that the school didn't want him to show up because it was going to offend their well-being. Yeah, he was attacked with bleach. Yeah, yeah, they're good people. At least the University of Missouri, Kansas City apologized for the physical assault and relentless shouting I endured last night as an invited speaker on campus. Just kidding. The chancellor of the university just sent out an email basically smearing me as a bigot. Upon learning of this speaker's visit, members of our UNC community responded in their best way by organizing and conducting a counter-event across campus Thursday afternoon focused on positive message about diversity and inclusion. And even during the speech, some powerful protesters stood and expressed disagreement with the speaker's views. Then, unfortunately, some other crossed the line. UMKC must maintain a safe environment in which all... And they cut it off. Fantastic. Fan-fucking-tastic. But our last one is even more bizarre of the attacks. U.S. Secret Service. Update. A male subject operating an electronic wheelchair-type scooter lit his outer jacket on fire while sitting along Pennsylvania Avenue outside the north fence line. Uniformed division officers immediately responded, extinguishing the fire and rendering first aid. The male subject has been transported to local hospital with what appeared to be non-life-threatening injuries. I want you to think about that. That's how riled up the left has gotten people. He caught himself on fire. Really? Really? 
with all the violence, all the lies, the misconstruing statements, I think the worst story of all this violent left is this one. Football star hides his Kaepernick criticism, Trump support, of ahead of NFL draft. I had to. Former Ohio State defensive star Nick Bosa has made clear in the past that he isn't afraid to make his political opinions known, but that doesn't mean he's going to hurt his draft stock either. In an interview with ESPN's Kevin Van Valkenburg, published Tuesday, Bosa succinctly addressed why he recently chose to stop posting political comments, including his support for President Trump and criticism of some of his social justice left, particularly Colin Kaepernick. When describing some of the differences between Nick and his older brother, Los Angeles Chargers star Joey Bosa, Van Valkenburg notes that Nick is more politically minded than his older brother, but his public comments, particularly about political topics, have become more bland recently. Last year, it seemed to, to delight. He seemed to delight in posting political takes, including a support for President Trump on Twitter and needing, needling dissenters. He also caused a minor social media stir by criticizing Beyonce, Black Panther, and Colin Kaepernick. All eventually deleted. As the combine drew near, though, his online behavior grew increasingly, increasingly bland. When the reporter asked Bosa why, he responded, "I had to. There's a chance I might end up in San Francisco." In its cover of the interview, Sports Illustrated noted that Bosa called Colin Kaepernick a clown in 2016, and a quote tweeted a picture of Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan with the caption, Goats. Many analysts, including SI, believe the change, chances that Bosa will end up with San Francisco 49ers are quite high. Due to yet another poor season, the 49ers have a second draft pick. <clears throat> His brother went third after going just 2-14 and 14 in 2016. And in his discussion of Bosa's high draft prospects, Van Valkenburg highlights some of his impressive credentials, including earning first-team All-Big Ten honors as a sophomore before going down with his junior season. What happened next became something of a melodrama at Ohio State. Boza had to undergo surgery, and then after weeks of speculation, finally decided to withdraw from the university, prompting much criticism, including from former NFL quarterback Tim Tebow. Boza Bosa has reason to be concerned that his past criticism of Kaepernick could be an issue in San Francisco, the birthplace of the National Anthem protest. During the 2016 season, Kaepernick went from San Francisco's second-string quarterback to the face of the social justice left. Blah, 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 blah. That is where we've become, or what we've become. That's how far this has gone since November 9th, 2016. Every one of us conservatives have to think and suppress our opinions, our core beliefs, because they have unleashed a mob. We started this with a good fight. It's time to punch a Nazi. This has gotten out of control. This has become a total un-American blemish on our history because of a very few minority of crazy people who hate America majority of Americans have to think about where they go how they dress what they say who they associate with and with the social media stuff even what you say online so that you can keep your online status That's un-American. That's not what this country's based on. 
and never has been. No, there's no room for hate speech and racism and bigotry. But we haven't been talking about this. Opinion is just an opinion on gay marriage, on abortion. Just having opinions now that are counter to what the media and the left wants puts you and your family in danger. And here's a guy that is a phenomenal athlete and he had to curb what he believes because he knew it could get him not in trouble, but hurt because he might go to San Francisco. Think about that. Let's go to a music break. We're going to our hate tweets and we got some good ones.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. You know, there are many people who thought, you know, her time is done. Maybe it's time for new blood, young blood. She has certainly shut all of that down. She did. And you know what? Strangely, President Trump was the one who gave her that opportunity. Because remember that meeting in the Oval Office, Major, I'm sure you do. Yes. Uh, And she stood up to him and walked out in that orange coat. And her image was changed on a dime. With the public, I think they knew how tough she was in Congress, but this was a moment that was transforming. And you know something, she is a very strong person, and stronger than I think we realized. The pu- I mean, we, the public. Mm-hmm. How so? Well, because she, look, just watch how she stood up to me in this interview. Whatever I asked, I was just swatted, <laughs> swatted down in a nice way. That's the other thing about her. She's both powerful. Uh, and she's very feminine. She dresses in, li- like a girl, like a woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, uh, in a way, wants to show everybody that you can be steely, tough, and feminine, and there's no contradiction there. They're the same thing. Mm-hmm. And she's going to show you. Nancy Pelosi, so feminine and tough. She's swallowing my questions away. Shut the fuck up. David Hogg's our next shut the fuck up. Today's my birthday. All I want today is for everyone who reads this to leave Chase Bank or Wells Fargo a call and uh, say you're leaving because they give money to gun manufacturers. Thanks. More info on the banks that are bad and least bad on guns. That guy's still trying to be relevant. Nothing's happened, David. Go to college. Maybe go to a Christian college, get some goddamn education on the real world, because your liberal fucking farcical bullcrap is just tiresome. Mediate! Oh, wow. NBC's Ken Dillian refers to Chelsea Manning as he and him in news report on Assange. On Thursday morning, at edition of MSDNC Live with Hallie Jackson, Dillian was explaining the charges of Assange face if, he's, if he is extradited to the United States. Specifically, Chelsea Manning was an Army private station in Iraq. He was downloading hundreds of thousands of top-secret U.S. government files from the military and from the State Department, and he was sending them to Assange and WikiLeaks to make public. Dillian said twice, referring to Manning as he. According to the Human Rights Campaign, journalists should respect transgender people by using the names and pronouns they use in daily life, and notes that if you're a reporter not sure, the AP Stylebook advises that you use the pronoun consistent with the way the individual is publicly. Stephen Miller, most factual thing this guy's ever reported. <laughs> but of course, it wasn't all over Twitter. If I, you, anybody else, you're going to get banned. And if a media member like Ken Dillian did it on Fox News, oh my God, it'd be a Twitter moment. Judge Napolitano misgenders somebody. The New Yorker, what does the reaction to Jesse Smollett fate say about America's thirst for punishment? That's the angle you're going with? Really? Then more Google shit. I put it in here because I hated it so much I had to do it. <sighs> the movie Unplanned. 
They listed it as drama propaganda. I shit you not. Kelsey Bolar Harkness. Who knew that propaganda was a movie genre? Google once again exposing its gross political bias, unplanned movie. Propaganda from a site literally pushing their own propaganda through search results? Ironic. Michelle McDown. That's absolutely crazy. William Ward. So basically because a bunch of people who never saw the film talked about it and being propaganda, the algorithm system labeled it as such? That seems like it could be fixed pretty easily. Peter Calbrisi's says what I said. Search engines are propaganda now. On a same search this individual did on the basis of sex, drama, legal drama. That was the whole propaganda piece on RGB. But they finally fixed it and they called it a drama, even though it should be a docudrama. It's a real story. Whether you want to like the story or not, it's a real story. Senator Gillibrand, CNN Town Hall, crushed in the ratings by Laura Ingram on Fox. It was a four to one shellacking. Uh, the Ingram angle drew 2.38 million. CNN's Kristen Gillibrand, 491,000. Yeah. Uh, in the 25 to 54, Ingram had 434,000 viewers. Senator Gillibrand and CNN host Aaron Burnett had 115,000. 115,000. On top of the insult, uh, oh, wait a minute, I missed the other ones. Gillibrand drew the lowest rating of all the Democratic town halls. Senator Camelia Harris with Jake Tapper drew almost 2 million viewers, perhaps because it came first. Klobuchar had 1.7, and Cory Booker only had 925,000 viewers. <laughs> Then to add uh, insult, CNN fact-checkers took issue with Gillibrand claim the NRA are greed heads, largely funded by gunmakers, ruling she was incorrect. Paralegal Jillian Thomas asked, as someone who's gone from receiving a rating to the NRA to now having an F rating, thank you for that. By the way, and your experience the moment when you realize that your stances on gun control were wrong, what do you feel other Americans are missing that might move them to a more open-minded stance when it comes to gun control? And you know that was a planet question. It was just a planet question. Yeah. Mm. Um, the Daily Caller took it to the next level. Every CNN presidential town hall finished behind MSNBC and Fox in the ratings. So the CNN poor PR shop had the balls to crank this shit out. CNN does not host presidential town halls for ratings. We host them because of substantive conversations with presidential candidates and form and empower voters to make the best possible choice for their families and communities, and it's the right thing to do. Facts first. But if that's the truth, then why did Brian Seltzer tweet, presidential hopeful Camelia Harris gets big ratings for a CNN town hall? And then Peter J. Hassan. Substantive conversation like Cory Booker answering what it's like to be a vegan and nice job from Don Lemon. Yeah, you fucking hacks. I tweeted him. Well, then why wasn't there 16 Republican town halls? Because there wasn't. Do you remember, folks? There was no town halls for Republicans. They didn't, they didn't do that. Fucking hacks. 
Here are the gushiest parts of Hollywood Reporter's Cuomo love letter. And a long-winded piece, puff piece from Hollywood Reporter writer Jeremy Barr gushed about blowhard primetime host Chris Cuomo and how he was fighting for his life on CNN. The piece was filled with loaded of gag-inducing puffery, but here's just a few doses. Near the top, Barr opined about the trench warfare of cable news. Now Cuomo occupies the ideological no-man's land somewhere between Fox, Sean Hannity, and Rachel Maddow. Are you fucking serious? The assertion that Cuomo was anything other than an ideological liberal was absolutely comical. Barr's evidence for Cuomo's alleged centricism was the liberals who get angry at him for giving airtime to Kellyanne Conway and hyperpartisans like Trump-boosting Republican Congressman Matt Gates. Back in reality, Cuomo routinely blasts conservative positions and builds up liberal ones. Last summer, Cuomo lectured conservatives about what it's like to be pro-life, while later being mum on the brother, New York Congress uh, Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo, radical abortion legislation, which allowed babies to be killed up to the moment of birth. He had also made the argument for banning mega hats, and he's doing a pretty decent job of it. His combative let's-get-after-it approach has helped make him the top-rated host with 1.3 million viewers on the third-place network. Barr shared his optimistic spin. It's unclear where, when Barr got the rating number, but ever since the liberal media collusion conspiracy fell apart, Cuomo primetime, as well as the rest of the CNN primetime lineup, has struggled to break one million viewers, period. The next few humorous tidbits from the Hollywood Reporter Love Fest evolved how his show was living up to the expectation of CNN boss and puppet master Jeff Zucker. By the time he launched his show, cable news was struggling to keep up with the president who could produce headlines faster than they could type them into chirons. So far, Cuomo has thrived on the chaos, even if the ratings aren't where he wants it to be. Zucker says Cuomo's show is everything we hoped it would be. He's way too hard on himself. He's a competitor. He wants to win in the first inning of the game. We're not even out of the first inning of the program. As far as Zucker's concerned, though, Cuomo is making all the right enemies. He never backs down from a fight. That's what makes him the perfect cable news anchor. Given Zucker's well-documented preference for creating television entertainment and conflict over factual news reporting, it's not surprising the head of CNN shines brightly on Cuomo. On a more serious note, the piece actually began with a describing swatting incident Cuomo and his family were subjected to back in January that forced them to sell their place. This author was once subject to an attempted swatting at college, so it's no laughing matter. But on the same note, Cuomo had actually promoted political violence in the past. Again, last summer, the CNN host justified the political motivated violence of Antifa. And we play it in our violent left. He didn't show the same concern for Fox News host Tucker Carlson when Antifa descended on his Washington, D.C. home to terrorize his family, vandalize the property, and break into his front door. But Cuomo did deride Carlson for pissing like a puppy dog puss. Without shame, Cuomo suggested to Barr that he respected his competition because he respects their success. Who am I to shit-talk them? Any metric you want, relevance, rating, they're kicking my ass. We're in the underdog. I'm okay with that. No, you're not. Everybody on CNN has got Tucker Carlson-itis. To make it even worse, CNN Jim Acosta received Truth to Power Award from the New York Press Club. What truth? That he likes himself? That he's an activist? I mean, what the fuck, Chuck? Then there was some sissy fighting out in the schoolyard. Chuck Todd fires back at Chris Cuomo. Maybe nobody in broadcast TV wanted to hire him. 
Chuck Todd is returning fire on Chris Cuomo after the CNN anchor swiped at him in a recent profile. Friday on WAMBC's Bernie and Sid in the Morning, Ted Todd, moderator of Meet the Press, was asked about how Cuomo bashed NBC by arguing that CNN has more influence than they do. Well, specifically, Cuomo told The Hollywood Reporter, Chuck Todd ain't Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper's been much bigger footprint in politics than Chuck Todd does. Woo! That's a big smack. I just read it. This is Todd. As somebody who wanted to defend the fact that nobody in broadcast television wanted to hire him, I guess, or he couldn't get the job that he wanted, Todd said. I don't know what it was, was but he was awfully defensive, so he took shots at other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other hate shit is... All of a sudden, the media and Hollywood, they see a couple successful things on the religious side. And everybody wants to make a Jesus movie. CNN. Of course they'd report this. When Jokon, or Yokon, whatever the fuck is, Phoenix, took on in the role of Jesus in the new film, Mary Magdalene, he did many of the expected things. Grew long hair, adopted an intense and otherworldly stare, even mediated on top of the laptop. But there was one thing he wouldn't do. And apparently that one thing was not to stick to the Bible version of events. You see, the fact that Jesus used mud or clay to heal, restore a blind man's sight, Phoenix decided Jesus would use his own saliva. But there was one thing he would not do. This is from the story. Near the beginning of Mary Magdalene, which opened Friday in the United States, the script calls Jesus to heal a blind woman by rubbing mud in her eyes, an echo of John the Gospel, John's Gospel. I knew about the scene from the Bible, but I guess I had never really considered it, Phoenix told CNN. When I got there, I thought, I'm not going to rub dirt in her eye. Who the fuck would do that? It doesn't make any sense. That is horrible introduction to seeing. The Bible doesn't fully explain why Jesus used mud or clay to heal the blind, though. Some experts say it was common practice among first century healers. And Mary Magdalene, Phoenix decided to go with his gut, licking a mudless thumb and gently rubbing the woman's eye. Sure, let's trust Phoenix's gut and not what's actually written in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stop with the movies. And who the fuck thought that psycho should be Jesus? It, you automatically tell me I don't want to go to your movie. It's not a real Christian movie. You're just making some bullshit up that's going to be Hollywood, Hollywoodized. All right. Hey, look. Here's another reporter who never watched Gosnell. First thing first. Abortion is graphic and bloody. You would have to go out of your way to make a movie about abortion and not have it filled with blood and gore, but that's what the makers of PG-13 film Gosnell did. The film isn't the horror movie it could have been. It's a crime drama focused on arrest and trial at Kermit Gosnell, who was convicted. We already did it. As Twitter reported, both Vanity Fair and Slate have called it bloody and graphic in news stories about the film being screened at the White House. Now Politico is throwing in its two cents, and they too are calling it graphic. Politico. After months of planning by the abort planning by the Office of the Public Liaison, the graphic anti-abortion movie Gosnell is now scheduled to be screened at the White House on Friday afternoon. In the bylines, the screening of the controversial Gosnell is the latest of several recent gestures to anti-abortion activists. How is it controversial? It's true, you dicks! You can't wipe that away. You can't edit it out that this dude shoved baby arms down sink drains. Really. J.D. Mullane. Photo. This has all been retweeted by Molly Hemingway. Seats for media in courtroom 304 at the Kermit Gosnell Abortion House of Horrors trial in Philadelphia on Thursday. These are all from 2013. Molly Hemingway. 
This description is something one could only write if they knew nothing of the movie or the underlying true story that was hidden by so many in the media. At the high point of the story, Gosnell was Politico's top search, yet returned zero results. She shows this from 2013. This reminds me of how you participate in the journalism blackout of the trial of abortions, Kermit Gosnell, top news story in April 2013. And I have the receipts. Most searched for, Kermit Gosnell. Actual stories, literally none. Sarah Cliff. Hi, Molly. And these are actual tweets she retweeted that I didn't do in the last time I covered it. Hi, Molly. I cover policy for the Washington Post, not local crime. Hence, why I wrote about all the policy issues you mentioned. She still writes for WAPO. Molly Hemingway's response in 2013, If you think Gosnell's a local crime story and not full of policy implications, you make a great Planned Parenthood activist, but not a great reporter. Holy fucking shit! Yeah. Moving on, AOC, Fox News brought me up 3,000 times in six weeks. That's how hard they're fighting against dignified health care, wages, and justice for all, and turning their firepower on the youngest congresswoman in history to do it. Too bad for them, because we don't flinch. Hashtag for the people. This was huge all over Twitter. Uh, Gerald Byer is into the facts business, and so he tweeted the following. Yes, why is Fox News so obsessed with AOC? Search NewYorkTimes.com for AOC, 91,000 results. Search FoxNews.com for AOC, 43,100. So I guess that's a lie too. Nothing she says isn't a lie. Do our tweets of the day, Carl Winkerton. Be on the lookout for people with the thumbs up emoji in their Twitter names, white supremacists, are now using this as a coded symbol for their bigotry. Hashtag resist. Hashtag stop the hate. So you're going to go, Tony, why would you read this as a tweet of the day? This dick nozzle literally had attention. White supremacists using it just to assert their ideological code. Be aware. Stop the hate. One, four, one, four, one. Uh, Fourteen words. We must secure the existence of our people. One, race above all. Uh, Firm, straight thumb, this represents the idea that straight, heterosexual white men are above all the groups. These motherfuckers have a a matrix on how they're doing this and the representation and everything. I don't know any white supremacists, but I bet if I asked them about this, they'd be like, what the fuck garbage is that shit? I I don't know. I don't know what that is. So, he tweeted pictures of white supremacists in Cuca Klan hat. Side by side with Trump doing the thumbs up. Yeah. Then a black guy, literally, named Mr. Smith, goes volcanic on him. There's a picture of Obama. Another picture of Obama. Hillary with two thumbs up. Biden, fucking uh, Warren, Pocahontas. Uh, Biden again with two thumbs up. Because they had a one and a two. Bernie Sanders. Oprah with a double thumbs up. Holy shit, Camelia Harris with two thumbs up. Nancy Pelosi with a thumb up. Colbert, De Niro, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, Ruffalo, Kaepernick, double thumbing up. Oh my God, so did LeBron. So did fucking uh, that dude from the, whatchamotherfuck, uh, 
Stephen Curry. The, remember that stupid skier that hated Trump? Yeah, she did it. Oh my God, not Samuel L. Jackson with a white supremacy thumbs up. Sweet God. Oh my, Depp. Uh, Sir, what's her name? Sarandon. Joe and Mika. Clooney. Anderson Cooper. At you too? Oh my God. But, our comedy tweet of the day is that I AOC. Somebody brought this up. The AOC Comedy Hour, and it's really funny. So it's our tweet of the day as we go out to news, social, media, nuggets. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. One American News is proud to present the Ocasio-Cortez Comedy Hour. We look at these figures and we say, oh, unemployment is low, everything is fine, right? Well, unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. People are working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and can barely feed their kids. Obviously, like I had a staffer, you know, release a document to talk about cow flatulence, but we need to innovate and change yes. our, our grain, uh, our, our cow grain from which, you know, they feed in, in these troughs. These are our solutions. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? And, like, this is the war. This is our World War II. You're talking about zero carbon emissions, no use of fossil fuels within 12 years? That is the goal. It's ambitious. And How is that possible? You're talking about everybody having to drive an electric car? It's going to require a lot of rapid change that we don't even conceive as possible right now. You use the term the occupation of Palestine. Mm. What did oh. you mean by that? Oh, um... <laughs> I think it, what I meant is like the, the settlements that are increasing in, in some of these areas and, and places where... Um, or Palestinians are experiencing uh, difficulty in access to uh, their housing and homes. Do you think you can expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd also just, I, I am not the expert on geopolitics on this issue. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. But being factually correct is important. It's absolutely important. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yep. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. To our military corner, uh, sadly, they have identified the three killed in Afghanistan. Staff Sergeant Christopher K.A. Slutman, 
43, of Newark, Delaware, Sergeant Benjamin S. Hines, 31, of York, Pennsylvania, and Corporal Robert A. Hendricks, 25, of Locust Valley, New York. They were from the 25th Marine Regiment, a Massachusetts-based reserve unit. God be with their family. Guy Benson, fresh off their third-term abortion expansion law, New York Dems block provision extending additional college financial aid for Gold Star families shortly after approving millions in tuition assistance to illegal immigrants. Is mentioning this incitement, he asks? New York Assembly Democrats on Tuesday blocked a bill that proposed expanding college tuition aid for children of deceased and disabled military veterans after having a week earlier approved a state budget that set aside $27 million in college tuition aid for illegal immigrants. The Assembly of Higher Education Committee voted 15 to 11 on Tuesday to shelve the bill, effectively quashing its chances of going to the floor, the Post-Standard reported. The decision came after committee chair Deborah Glick, Democrat from Manhattan, and Speaker Carl Heasty said $27 million for the state budget would go towards supporting the Jose Peralta New York State Dream Act, which allows illegal immigrants to qualify for state aid for higher education, Newsweek reported. They hate the military. Just the way it is. U.S. military is America's heaviest drinking profession, survey says. I just don't know why they even thought this. Hmm. A review of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention survey data from 2013 to 17 by a behavioral health company has confirmed that troops spend more days a year consuming alcohol than everybody else. They also binge drink more. The analysis response of 27,000 people in 25 industries found that members of the military poured drinking alcohol 130 days out of the year, followed by miners with 1012 and construction workers 106. Might have something to do with the bullet thing, you know? Bullets coming at you? It could be me. Hmm. Exchange to airmen. Don't buy new OCP uniforms from unauthorized dealers. The U.S. Air Force personnel looking to buy the new o- Operational Camouflage Pattern Uniforms, or OCP, should only purchase them at Army or Air Force Exchange Services. AFES is authorized source for offering uniforms to our service members, Colonel Stephen Thomas, Project Manager, Soldier Protection and Individual Equipment of Program Executive Office Soldier, said in April 10th, the AFES news release. Where they come up with these goddamn names? The uniforms are produced by government-approved vendors, meet uniform quality standards, and comply with regulatory specifications. The Air Force announced in May of last year that it was adopting the OCP. The service plans to phase out the current Airman Battle Uniform, ABU, by April 1st, 2021. To offset, they're going to give them more money in their clothing allowance. But this is the tired line from AFES and clothing sales because they're horrible at what they do. It's a bunch of cronyism. Your friend of your friend gets the job. And that's how I had a job for 12 years. U.S. Calvary shouldn't be in existence. But it was because the clothing and sales couldn't do their damn job and get people the things they needed. The next one made me happy. Makes me want to go dig through and see if I can get one of my squad leaders a silver star he deserved. New policy will automatically review some military valor medals for higher awards. 
The Pentagon wraps up a sweeping three-year review of Valor medals, medals awarded in conflicts after September 11th. Officials are preparing to roll out a new policy designed to ensure acts of military heroism receive the full recognition they deserve. Expected to be announced this month, the new policy will trigger an automatic review at the higher headquarter level within 120 days for any Silver Star or Service Cross not reviewed by appropriate service secretary. This will help ensure the troops are not inadvertently approved for lesser awards than they deserve. The view is at the highest level is where you would see more of these higher-level awards, Mulcahy told Military.com. And at a lower level, there are so few folks that do get the highest level of recognition that they might not be familiar with it from a command perspective. So we're putting this additional review in place. In all, officials said some 1,400 awards were reviewed, ranging from bronze stars with valor to service crosses, and 57 medals were ultimately upgraded. The upgraded awards included four medals of honor, including two for the famous 2005 battle at Roberts Ridge, 30 service crosses, and 23 silver stars. Roberts Ridge was in 2002, not 2005. Several Army awards are still in review process and have yet to announce the officials. But that's, that's fucking fantastic. Those awarded the Medal of Honor as a result of the review includes Senior Chief Petty Officer Britt Slabinski, a former member of SEAL Team 6, who received an award in May 2018, John Chapman, Ronald Schur, and Travis Atkins. Next article, the Army is full speed ahead with its powerful new Hellfire missile replacement. The Army is poised to begin full production of the joint air-to-ground missile designed to combine the best features of several air-to-surface missiles, including a single unified system. In a pre-solicitation notice issued on Tuesday, Army Contractor Command detailed requirement for 3,000 JAGMs, that's not a good acronym, J-A-G-M missiles over the next two fiscal years for the U.S. Army, Navy, and Air Force, as well as unidentified special customers. Jane 360 reports that a formal award for the contract is expected sometime in 2019. The JAGM intended to replace the AGM-114 Hellfire and the AGM-65 Maverick BGM-71 tow air launch system combines both semi-active laser and millimeter wave radar sensor technology used the two different Hellfire variants, topped off with a Hellfire Romeo warhead motor and flight control system. Will all be dipped? That's pretty cool. Dodge's new Stars and Stripes Chargers and Challengers are tailor-made for base parking lot. If you ever walked around a military base thought to yourself, you know what this place really needs? More muscle cars with Moto bumper stickers and American flag stencils and probably a few more broke E3s who bought a sweet new ride at 20% APR. <laughs> Isn't that true? Stars and Stripes edition of the selected 2019 Dodge Chargers and Challengers. These suddenly star-spangled sports cars will debut next week at the New York International Auto Show. According to Dodge's website, the Stars and Stripes special edition rides come with a satin black and silver accent center stripe, American flag fender decals and 20 by 9 inch mid-gloss black wheels and black badging, along with some other add-ons and upgrades to the exterior. They also come with a number of aesthetics interior upgrades like gloss black interior accents, unique black-on-black cloth seats with embroidered bronze stars, a bronze instrument panel, and a bronze stitching throughout. The Stars and Stripe Edition is available for an additional $19.95 
for the following models, Challenger RT Scat Pack, Charger Scat Pack, Challenger and Charger RT models, and Challenger and Charger GT rear-wheel drive models. It's kind of a brilliant move on Dodge's part, considering the Dodge Challengers and Chargers are as ubiquitous in the military towns as Hooters, pawn shops, and strip clubs. <laughs> he said the upgrade alone is nearly two grand, which is more than E3 makes in a single month. So if you're just looking for a car that screams, thank me for my service, then maybe swing by the base PX and buy a bunch of OIF and OEF bumper stickers. Ain't that the shit? They added a ribbon rack for the window. That's so funny. They are good-looking cars, though. I'll give them that much. A Marine Corps recruiter called him too fat, so this student lost 70 pounds to pursue his dream of enlisting. And it's an interesting story. This kid wanted to serve so bad, he went from a really big guy, about my size. Well, I'm not that big, but he was really big. And he lost the weight, and now is going to boot camp. And I think that's just a neat story when you hear kids that still want to serve. And they keep trying till they can. So, to our college crazy, 18 states offering state tuition for illegals and legal residents. Wow, they're not happy with it. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at UNLV with our friend Mike A. Talking to students about in-state tuition for illegal immigrant students. Currently 18 states offer that policy. Will people here think it's fair? Let's find out. There are 18 states in America where in-state tuition is automatically offered to students that are here illegally. What's your thought on that? Is that surprising? For real? That's not just like a... Really? 18 states. That's a bunch of states, too. Do you think that's fair? No, no. No, not at all. And they're not even citizens, right? Correct. So what's the... That's uh, disappointing, I think, because uh, I did quite a bit to earn my college. What do you get for, like, living here all your life legally instead of, like, coming in here illegally? I don't know. I just don't... I don't think that's fair. It's crazy. It's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. So do you think that's fair? Well, I mean... Obviously not, but at the same time, like, the whole system already is, like, a little little jacked up anyways. Let's say I went to California, and they came here from here as well. I'm like, why do they get to be paid? Why do they get to pay less while I get to pay more? I guess that's how I'm looking at it. I honestly, I try to stay out of politics because I'm going to get angry over it anyways. So I really try to stay out of it. So. What if you went to another state school and you had to pay out-of-state tuition, but someone else that was there was getting... In-state tuition, a discount just for being illegally there. I'd be kind of angry, just a little. Because, I mean, I wanted to go to Florida, but then I was like, it's expensive. And if someone can get, like, in-state tuition and I can, that's kind of, you know. Like, I couldn't go to those states and pay in-state. So I feel like it should be equal for everyone if it's that's going to be the rule. So, so you think we should, uh, the government shouldn't be picking losers and winners. They should do it with that policy. No, it and- should be equal, at least. Uh, if you're going to have immigrants, then it should, there should be no reason that. Me as a citizen shouldn't be able to. There's no, that makes no sense. Why? Why would it seem unfair? Because I guess they're not here legally, and then like the people that are here, that are here legally, like um, I guess deserve it more. And th- those costs have to be recouped in some way. I think with the people who uh, who actually pay full tuition. It's like the government saying we're going to pick winners and losers. Favorites, and I'm like, oh, okay, we're going to pick favorites here. All right. Cool. So just being a legal citizen, I pay my taxes, <laughs> you know, I pay my fair share, right? 
uh, you know, I'm a college student. I, I have to I have to put my investment in. And someone else who comes here, you know, perhaps illegally or anything of the sort, I mean, that doesn't seem fair. Because there's people that have lived here all their life and they get charged in-state. What was, like, your dream school you wanted to go to? I was, I applied all over. Like, I know I did Columbia, Stanford, um, Claremont McKenna, stuff like that, yeah. Okay. Was the pricing one of the things that kind of, like, stopped you from going there? Yeah, big time. Yeah. Out of state pricing? Yeah. Do you think that maybe if you were allowed to pay the in-state tuition, you it would have been helpful? Yeah, def- definitely would have applied to probably different places. Uh, would you have maybe gone to a school out of state if you know the pricing was roughly the same or less? Um, I mean, it was definitely a factor. Price was a big factor with other ones, but that was. You buy the ticket, you take the ride, youngins. This is the world you like living in. Ivy League mom after Palestinian group promotes Israeli apartheid week with anti-Semitic image. Columbia University Students for Justice of Palestine chapter advertised a campus event with a picture depicting an Israeli soldier with horns coming out of his hand. The pro-Palestinian group used a photo to promote an Israeli apartheid week. Orthodox Jew groups Chabat described the portrayal of Jews with horns as anti-Semitic trope. In order to promote their so-called Israel, Israel Apartheid Week, Columbia SJP and Jewish Voice for Peace circulated a flyer throughout the campus. Columbia students supporting Israel chapter sent on Facebook. At first glance, the flyer looks somewhat unproblematic, but upon close inspection, one can easily see depiction of an Israeli soldier with looks like horns on his head. And you can see it. Mm-hmm. In a statement of Captain's form, SJP's chapter defended the image, saying that it wasn't a horn that appeared on the Israeli soldier head, but a cartoon bump like Tom and Jerry. And they show a picture of that. While the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is a profoundly complex situation, this kind of repugnant caricature of Jews is a sore reminder of blatant anti-Semitism from the dark ages of medieval Europe when anti-Semitic propaganda depicted Jews as satanic consorts an incarnation of absolute, absolute evil, the group said. Lame excuses on the basis of free speech or creating political satire must not be the basis of exoneration. But no, nothing happened. Yeah, it's all good. It's not the only one. Emory SJP calls for schools to discipline Jewish student orgs after they react to anti-Semitic flyers. Emory University Students for Justice in Palestine chapter is calling on the school to discipline Jewish students' organizations and for students to stage a campus-wide boycott of Jewish groups after those same groups publicly criticized flyers. God, the balls on these people. SJP posted eviction notices approved by the Office of Residence and Housing on some doors in Emory's residence hall. The flyers were posted in unapproved places. However, SJP says that the posters were aimed at bringing awareness to the apartheid going on in Israel. If you do not vacate the premises by midnight on April 5th, we reserve the right to destroy all your remaining belongings, it said. Wow. Wow. We cannot be held responsible for property or persons remaining in the premises. Palestinian homes are destroyed as part of the state of Israel's ongoing attempt to ethnically cleanse the region of Arab inhabitants and maintain an exclusionary Jewish character state. By destroying Palestinian homes, the state makes room for illegal Israeli settlements. The Israeli government describes this process as Judaization. While the bottom of the poster clarifies the sign is not a real eviction notice, some university students and officials were not pleased with the posters. 
Let me read along. Uh, here it comes. The fact that the school does not condemn the anti-Semitic language in the third paragraph of the eviction notice is hurtful to Jewish and pro-Israeli students. We, the undersigns, are saddened but not surprised that right-wing extremist groups are smearing student activists over their engagement in the difficult issue. Other members of SJP were confused that groups like Halil and Zionist Organization of America were more upset about SJP raising awareness around the human rights abuses than the abuses themselves. We call on Emory University to cease validating the bigoted smear campaign and discipline students and other Emory community members that are complicit in the ongoing harassment. We further call on all community members to avoid endorsing or co-sponsoring events and activities with Emory Elil and Zionist Organization of America, EIAPAC, Emory Eagles for Israel, Emory Cherbad, or other complicit in this activity until they rescind and curtail their ongoing harassment campaign. Jesus fucking Christ. So you tell people they're evicted, have some anti-Semitic language, and they're the bad guys. Yeah, that sounds like the left. Totally. Then we got another cuddling thing. I am so sick of, I just don't want to read any more male cuddling. College promotes men's cuddling group to redefine masculinity. Oh, really? Pennsylvania University has promoted the concept of men cuddling as a way to help them deal with stress and redefine masculinity. Dr. Christopher Lang, a counseling psychologist professor at Lehigh University College of Education, recently came out in support of the Philadelphia Men Therapeutic Cuddling Group. The meetup comp page of the group currently has 69 members. The group has 46 events so far. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know what? No, I'm just not even going to go there. There's just no fucking reason to cuddle to change your masculinity. If you want to not be masculine, chop your dick off, turn it into canoe, be a girl. Alright? That seems to be the coolest thing to do anyway. So, cuddling's not going to get you any street cred, but becoming a she-chick or a he-chick, mm-hmm. That gets you a front... You get a seat at the front of the table, dude. They love that shit. Then we got this wizard. House Dam introduced bill to force schools to allow transgender males to complete as female. We kind of talked about it last time, but I didn't have the story. Democrats' Equality Act would amend the Civil Rights Acts of 1964 to make sexual orientation and gender identity protected characteristics under federal federal anti-discrimination law and would force schools to accommodate transgender male athletes to identify as female by placing them on female-only sports team. Biological males competing as females has become a trend in high school events and several biologically male athletes have earned top honors. Activists who support the transgender rights in sports contend that there are no innate physical differences between men and women. And men who identify female are authentically women. Oh, really? Them two ball ba- The ball bags flopping down as he's running probably says he's not a girl. Yes, I said ball bag. This will never pass. But it's all the Dems. Uh, Dan Lipinski, John Cato, Brian Fitzpatrick joined the Democrats to push it forward. Jerry Nadler is the head dude. Jesus Christ on a popsicle stick. And if that wasn't crazy enough, 
the fucking LGBT EIEIO mafia. They're sticking it to Chick fil A. Mm hmm. From the Hill. San Jose City Council votes universe, unanimously, excuse me, to fly rainbow flags near Chick fil A location. City Council of San Jose, California, this week voted unanimously to fly rainbow flags in support of LGBTQ EIEIO rights near Chick fil A set to open next month at the airport. Council members voted 11-0 on Tuesday to hang both a rainbow flag and a transgender rights pink, blue, and white flag and yet-to-be-determined location of the San Jose International Airport. Matt Whitlock. They have a massive housing crisis and their city council is spending time debating and voting on hanging flags to send a message to a restaurant. Good to see that trolling a fast food restaurant is a priority for the San Jose City Council. I once saw... Chick-fil-A ploy, bring a protester a free meal since you was out there so long. Yeah. Yeah, That's just fucking fantastic. That's going to show them. Other replies. Well, now I know where the good chicken sandwiches are. You know, every time they go down this road, you're just making that dude more money. Because we support them. They said a statement... Fucking forever to go. Forever ago. And you're still just panties in a wad over it. So to our woke Hollywood montage. Jane the Virgin on equal pay. And I got a soundbite from the Twilight Zone trailer. I couldn't get this, but... Basically, they did a Bad Cops Twilight Zone... And it's by Jordan Peele, and um, the episode title replay features a mother named Nina driving her son Dorian up to college. They're proposed, uh, pursued by a racist white cop. Eventually, the mother comes upon a magical camera that has the ability to rewind time, which she employs over and over again in an effort to fend off the tormented policeman. However, no matter how many times she rewinds time to repl- employ a different tactic against her oppressor, the racist cop always gets the upper hand. As noted by THR, it is when the episode reaches its third act that it finally goes full SJW. As the episode moves into the third act, the inevitable happens as Nina finally loses control and loses her son at the hands of the murderous cop. At first, it seems like she may not save Dorian, but after getting her hands on the camera, Nina tries one more time. At this point, the writers attempt to add a message about not losing sight of where you come from and how woke you is. Eventually, with the help of her strange brother, Nina and Dorian make it to a historically black college where, along with his classmates, they face down and publicly shame the violent white fucking cop. Yeah! Get your woke on! Dinner for two? Can't eat. I'm already nauseous. How was your day? Oh, fine. Fine. Great. Come on. Tell me the truth. How did it go with River? I don't know how I'm going to work with that woman for the next seven to ten years. Look, I know this is hard, and while I agree that you should be getting the same pay as River, you have to admit it's pretty cool that a woman is winning in the fight for gender parity. Fight for what now? It's the idea that men and women should be paid the same for doing the same job. It's a big issue in Hollywood right now. And most people are pro? Just checking. A lot of celebrities are standing up for each other and demanding equal pay for women. William H. Macy stood up for Emmy Rossum. Bradley Cooper supported Jennifer Lawrence. When did you become such a name dropper? It's quite a turn on. (laughs) 
Oh, chemo gives me lots of downtime to read these. <laughs> well, I thank you for alerting me to this appalling issue. Clearly, I need to read more about this important initiative. She was incredible. She deserves every dollar they're paying her. Then why do you look upset? I'm fine. Tell me. Why? Did the crew ask you to handle me? No. I'm asking as your wife. It's just... Yes. River clearly deserves to get paid what she's getting. But so do I. This is my project. I fought four years to get it made. It's my telenovela, my culture, my story I'm bringing to the screen. Yet somehow with all of that, I'm only worth half as much as her. It's not right. You're right, it's not. I did some research and pay parity affects people of color too. So this, plus with everything that's going on in this country, it's always been my dream to be famous in America. But I'm starting to wonder, why am I so desperate for validation from a country that doesn't seem to value or accept me? Everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Things happen the way they should. It's all the same number. What are the odds of that? You happy with your life? Don't you want it all? It said that would happen right when it did. Where's our dog? We don't have a dog. Do we go backwards again? Everything you said would come true has. I changed something. Erased something. We're not meant to be here. Life sometimes goes like you don't expect it to. What did you do to me? Turn it off. This is real. You know, I'm, I'm bitchy about it because the reality is I was looking forward to that until I found out it was an SJW nightmare. I used to love watching Twilight Zone. All right, to crazy crime. A man called the sheriff's department in Oregon to report a burglar. Then this happened. A couple in Oregon were so terrified that someone had broken into their home while out from an afternoon walk that they called the Washington County Sheriff's Office an abject terror. But it turns out... They're actually being burgled by a robotic vacuum. <laughs> Woo! Buy a gun. 
You can walk in your house and shoot that motherfucking that damn robot vacuum. Oh! Then there's this one. Three naked women stand outside a rest stop to air dry. Trooper shows up. Then things get really out of control. We started off with three women. Poor decision to air dry after taking a shower at a rest stop. Quickly escalated into a multi-phase car chase. Threats against a trooper with a baseball bat. An attempt to run over an officer. All three women getting tased naked. Yeah. And a wild media alert issued by Florida Highway Patrol. Um, Stephen Gaskin details a rest stop incident that quickly devolved from bizarre to deadly. On Wednesday, April 10, 2019, at approximately 11.15 a.m., FHP units in Pasco County were dispatched to a suspicious person called at the northbound I-75 rest area south of State Road 54. Trooper Daniela Polin arrived at the scene and observed three black females naked who stated that they had showered and were air-drying. According to one witness, the women were all standing out in the nude and applying suntan lotion. While the three naked women respond to Officer Pullen's initial question, they suddenly bolted. As Trooper Pullen attempted to gather information, the three subjects ran and got into a white 2009 Nissan Sentra and fled through the northbound rest area entrance, headed southbound, before turning back northbound. They then traveled north on I-75 to State Road 52. Trooper Pullen initiated pursuit, however, was canceled due to the pursuit not fitting FHP criteria. Though Poulin stopped pursuing, a citizen soon called in a 347 to report reckless driving, propping another trooper, Christopher Brando, to respond, seeing the center driving in the wrong direction briefly. Trooper Brando initiated pursuit eastbound State Road, deploying Star Chase Projectile, a tagging system that allows police to track a vehicle. Brando backed off. Troopers were able to track the vehicle to a convenience store parking lot on the road. They found the center empty, the three women having entered the store. The situation got even more intense at this point. As the three females exited the store and got into the car, Poulin attempted to take one of the females into custody who had not made it back to the vehicle. While Trooper Poulin was attempting to arrest that subject, a driver purposely drove directly at the trooper and they had to disengage so he wouldn't get struck. The other passenger exited the vehicle with a metal bat. Sergeant Denise Dennis Rich, seeing that the trooper Poland was in an imminent danger, rammed the suspect vehicle with his marked patrol vehicle, and the vehicle fled again. Now in the second phase of the high-speed pursuit, the Dade County City Police Department came to help the troopers, deploying stop sticks due to the aggravized assault charges and totality of the circumstances, Gaskin underscores. Brando was given approval to use his vehicle to nudge the Sentra, though it to make it spin to a stop. Trooper Brando's actual successfully brought the chase to an end, but the women weren't done resisting, refusing to exit the vehicle. With the women refusing to get out, Paul used his baton to break the window, but they still wouldn't comply, having interlocked their arms together and chanting. <laughs> As a result, all three were tasered and taken into custody to Pasco Jail. The women have been charged with fleeing to elude, resisting arrest, aggravated assault, indecent exposure, and having some marijuana. Also, one, the driver got DUI. What the fucking shit is that? God damn. Crazy shit. Only in Florida. Sadly to report, Israeli spacecraft crashed in an attempt to land on the moon. That's too bad. 
It was Thursday, the first privately funded lunar landing. Spacecraft lost communication with ground control during its final descent. Missions later, the mission was declared a flare. We definitely crashed on the surface of the moon. He said the spacecraft engine turned off shortly before landing, and scientists were still trying to figure out the cause. The spacecraft, called Bersheet, was in pieces scattered at the landing site. That's too bad. Holy stairs believed to have been climbed by Jesus prior to crucifixion unveiled in Rome. After over a year of restoration, the 28 marble steps were unveiled Thursday. That's pretty cool. And then this, a surprising piece to go into our almanac. I'll just surmise it. Ex-NFL star Reggie Bush bucks liberal calls for focus on family. And calls for focus on family. Sorry. Uh, discussion topic was prompted by March 31st murder of rapper Nissy Hustle. Hmm. I don't get it. My real dad was not my life growing up, and so the foundation of which I wanted to be great on my football field because I wanted to make my dad jealous, right? And I had this resentment and this aggression that I grew up with towards my real dad, and as I got older, I realized my dad never had his dad in his life. I just posted something about this on Instagram the other day. My dad met his dad for the first time five years ago. My dad's 53 years old. My grandfather I've never met still lives in L.A. So to me, we got to get back to the foundation at home with parenting. A lot of the boys I grew up with, they didn't have their dads. A lot of players I played the NFL, they didn't have their dads. So for me, I became, I learned from a lot of the men through football. Football ultimately became that father for me because that was where there was other men there. Now the issue was that was... I'm learning from other men, and that was just as broken as me, right? Greg Jenning said his man of faith who grew up in an instant family, and he believes that if you're not standing for something, you'll fall for anything. And it's true. I mean, anybody who wants to get reels with a Z, that is the problem with a lot of inner city youth, just not black, um, Latina, the whole nine yards. Um, They don't have family. They need family. They need a male and a female role model to emulate so they can be successful in life. I don't care what people say. Um, And no. Sorry, I had to take another claret in. My freaking nose is killing me. Um, My wife opened the window last night. I don't know why she does that. I tell her, please, you gotta tell I'm not saying that two gay people can't raise kids. I, I just think you need two parents, period. Two. Um, I'm not one of those people that say, well, gay people should have kids. Uh, there's so many kids without families. I don't give a fuck who takes them. I don't care if it's two Martians. But you need two people. It's a two-person job. There's no way one person can do it. In the hard times of our life, in the toddler phase, and the teenage phase... My kids didn't have that, and it showed, especially teenagers. They went through some really hard times because I wasn't here, and mom got tired. She was dealing with the house, the bills. Uh, she had to finance so we both could have money because I wasn't living here, and she had to work full-time as a manager, 50 fucking 60 hours a week. It, it showed. The kids got kind of out of control in places. Um, so I, mean, I just think that's... If we want to fix our society, that's where we fix it. Go back to, to family. I don't give a fuck how you classify it, liberals. But family is important. And not procreating, not getting married, and all the shit you guys do. Yeah, that's not going to fix it. 
To our American Patriots Almanac. Uh, I'm not going to read today because it's... Well, I am going to read this one. April 14th. I want to make sure everyone makes it home alive. One day, as Marine Corporal Jason Dunham and his buddies swap talk in the barracks in Iraq, the conversation turned to the best way to survive a hand grenade attack. The corporal suggested covering grenade with a Kevlar helmet. I'll bet a Kevlar would stop it, he said. Dunham raised in the small town of Sio, New York, was a 22-year-old with a natural gift for leadership. He'd been a star athlete setting Skio Central School baseball record for the highest batting average. Now a rifle squad leader, he'd extended his enlistment to stay with his comrades in Iraq. On April 14, 2004, Dunham was on his way to help a Marine convoy that had been ambushed in western Iraq when an insurgent leapt from a car and attacked him. As two Marines rushed to help wrestle the man to the ground, they heard Dunham yell, No, 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 watch his hand. Before they realized what happened, Dunham threw his helmet and his own body over a live enemy grenade. The sacrifice helped contain the blast but left Dunham mortally wounded. He died eight days later at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. In January 2007, Bush W. awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously to Jason Dunham. Corporal Dunham saved the lives of two of his men and showed the world what it means to be a Marine, the president said. He was the first Marine to earn the Medal of Honor for service in Iraq. Journalist Michael Phillips, an author of The Gifts of Valor, wrote that shortly before leaving for the Persian Gulf, Dunham told friends of his plans to extend his enlistment. You're crazy for extending, a fellow Marine had said. Why? I want to make sure everyone makes it home alive, Jason Dunham answered. Just don't find that valor. You can't find it out in the civilian sector. It's just not there. History Parade, 1828. This is all for the 14th, because that was when we were supposed to be doing this podcast. And I already read this this one. First edition of Noah Webster and American Dictionary of English Language is published. John Wilkes Booth assassinates Abraham Lincoln in 1865. 1939, The Grapes of Wrath is published. 1956, the first commercial videotape recorder is demonstrated simultaneously in Redwood, Redwood City, California, and Chicago. 1981, America's first operational space shuttle, Columbia, completes its first flight. Others for uh, the 15th, which is Monday, and 16th, Tuesday... 1850, the city of San Francisco is incorporated. I wish that one to happen. 1865, Andrew Johnson takes the oath as the 17th U.S. president. 1892, the General Electric Company is established. 1912, the British liner Titanic sinks. Wow. And on April 16th, 1789, President-elect George Washington leaves Mount Vernon for his inauguration in New York City. 1862, Abraham Lincoln signs a bill ending slavery. 1912, Harriet Quimby becomes the first woman to fly across the English Channel. 1947, much of Texas City, Texas, is destroyed when a ship carrying fertilizer blew up in the harbor, killing 600 people. That is just scary. And in 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. writes his letters from Birmingham jail while incarcerated for protesting against segregation. And lastly, because it was on the next page, 2007, the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history leaves 33 dead at Virginia Tech in Blacksbury, Blacksburg, Virginia. No good way to segue off that, but we must. We covered the uh, Green Bay Packers last time. A lot of drama. Not going to waste your time, but I'm going to let the guys speak because you probably all, if you watched ESPN, you heard Aaron Rodgers speak. Here's Tyler Dunn, the guy who wrote it. He gets his chance to respond. Like, I've met a lot of writers in my life that are all about trying to become more famous. 
that are yeah. all about trying to get, you know, another job. And the thing is about when you work at Bleacher Report and you have like a job that you have or a job that I have where we just get to fucking create like there like this world of like making a bigger name for yourself is crazy. So here's the quote. This is what Aaron said to ESPN Milwaukee. He said, the thing is, it's not a mystery. This was a smear attack by a writer trying to advance his career, talking with mostly irrelevant, bitter players who all have an agenda. I am also saying that on this, we have in this show's constitution that Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. I said on Dan Patrick on Friday, the number one interview I'd like to get is Aaron, because I'd like to crack that code. So I am a huge fan of Aaron, and I'm a huge fan of yours, and I respect both of you. But the thing about that, that quote from Aaron was, that quote sounded like a very bitter person. Um... And and I just I don't agree with it, and I'm curious what you thought when you saw that quote about you. Well, yeah, I obviously believe it is an incorrect statement, uh, but like I said, I mean, it's not a surprise, and he has every right to to get into and and talk about whatever he wants to. That's that's fine. I mean, it's, yeah, it's fine. You know, I, I wasn't offended. I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin and comfortable with every single story. I've done throughout my career, and my God, no, it's not, nothing has ever about advanced my career. The last thing I want is to be a part of the story. I mean, every writer in this business doesn't want to does not want to be a part of the story. So, yeah, it's, I didn't really think much of it, to be honest. It's it's it, it's fine. It was good to hear from him, and hey, he has uh, every right to think and think how he wants to think and say what he wants to say. Which brings us to our "This Is America." A lot of drama as we talked during the section about th- some people did something. Her bashing of Jews. In this soundbite, you hear her talk about New Zealand. This woman's a piece of fucking shit. And to then spin it to be, I'm a minority, you can't criticize me, it's all about racism and xenophobia. No. If the media wasn't so complicit... They would play this and let the chips fall, but they're not. Well, I'm not the media. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they... This is America in 2019. The other thing that is exciting to me to be in this room is that there are very fascinating people outside who for so many years have spoken about an Islam that is oppressive. An Islam that lessens and isolates its women. And today they gather outside to protest a Muslim woman who is in Congress. I mean, the irony, the irony in that is very entertaining to me. I know, I know many of them 
drove miles to get here, spent a lot of energy and resources and money to purchase the signs that they have. But I don't think any of them realize that people like myself and many of the people in this room can care less about what they have to say because we know who we are and where we belong and what we stand for. So we are coming off a tragic, tragic nightmare that has happened to Muslims in New Zealand. Many of us know that this is not a one-off incident. Many of us were not shocked or surprised. Many of us were kind of holding our breath for a really long time, thinking, when will something like this happen? Because many of us have experienced threats in our mosques, in our schools, even for our individual leaders. Many of us have witnessed bombings of, of mosques. Many of us have seen mosques set on fire. Many people a few years ago watched in horror as gunmen showed up to Irving, um, Texas at a mosque threatening Muslims. So we all, we all kind of knew that this was happening. But the reason I think that many of us knew that this was going to get worse is that we finally have a leader, a world leader in the White House who publicly says Islam hates us, who fuels hate against Muslims, who think it is, it is okay. It is okay to speak about a faith and a whole community in a way that is dehumanizing, vilifying, and doesn't understand, or at least makes us want to think that he doesn't understand the consequences that his words might have. Some people, like me, know that he understands the consequences. He knows that there are people that he can influence to threaten our lives, to diminish our presence. But what we know and what Islam teaches us, and what I always say, is that love trumps hate. Every time we feel threatened, we show up with love, and others stand with us in solidarity. We've seen that with the Muslim ban, a very hateful 
policy that has now been fully implemented, one that is going to leave a stain in our nation's history. When the ban was first announced, Muslims across this country rushed out to stand against it. And everyone else in all of our communities showed up alongside us. We also know that when this last shooting happened, even though leaders, non-Muslim leaders, said people should not go to Jummah prayers, people should not show up at their mosques, we knew we knew that the only way we will continue is for all of us to show up. And even if you were not planning on going to Juma prayer, that Friday you were going to Juma prayer. And we knew that others within our communities will also show up. Because that is how it works. Once you are willing to stand up for yourself, once you recognize what your rights are, what you should be entitled to, then others will show up for you. <laughs> Liberation is not an external thing. It's an internal thing. People always say to me, how have you gotten empowered? And I say, I was born this way. <laughs> it is not about how others make us feel. It is what we tell ourselves that we are worthy. So when you know as a Muslim that advancing justice is very inherent in you, when you know as a Muslim our faith's initial Foundations were built by a prophet who was vilified, had stones and fruit and all kind of things thrown at him. A prophet who had to make a pilgrimage and leave his home. Then you know that when Ilhan is facing some controversy, that that is not something to be afraid of. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Muslims for a really long time in this country have been told that there is a privilege, that there is a privilege that we are given and it might be taken away. We, to we are told that we should be appropriate we should go to school, get an education, raise our children, and not bother anyone. Not make any kind of noise. Don't make anyone comfortable. Be a good Muslim. But no matter how much we have tried to be the best neighbor, People have always worked on finding a way 
to not allow for every single civil liberty to be extended to us. You can clap for that. So the truth is, you can go to school and be a good student. You can listen to your dad and mom and become a doctor. You can have that beautiful wedding that makes mom and dad happy. You can buy that beautiful house. But none of that stuff matters. If you one day show up to the hospital and your wife or maybe yourself is having a baby and you can't have the access that you need because someone doesn't recognize you as fully human. It doesn't matter how good you were. If you can't have your prayer mat and take your 15-minute break to go pray in a country that was founded on religious liberty. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you one day find yourself in a school where other religions are talked about, but when Islam is mentioned, we are only talking about terrorists. And if you say something, you are sent to the principal's office. So to me, I say raise hell. Make people uncomfortable. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Far too long, we have lived with the discomfort of being a second-class citizen. And frankly, I'm tired of it. And every single Muslim in this country should be tired of it. CARE was founded after 9-11. Because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. So you can't just say that today someone is looking at me strange, that I am going to try to make myself look pleasant. You have to say, this person is looking at me strange. I am not comfortable with it. I am going to go talk to them and ask them why. Because that is a right you have. So I'll correct myself. Fox News did air this, the full 20 minutes. I did not know that, so I'll correct myself. But let's get some facts straight. CARE was founded in 1994, not after the September 11, 2001 terrorist attack. Jeremy Slevin, Elmar's spokesman, said she misspoke and meant to refer to the fact that the organization has doubled in size September 11. CARE is not a terrorist organization, but an aggressive Muslim civil liberties organization modeled on the Anti-Defamation League. The U.S. government has never charged it with terrorism, but it was named as an unindicted co-conspirator or joint venturer in the Holy Land Foundation case, an Islamic charity that in 2008 was convicted of funding Islamist militant groups. But CARE was not alone in the designation. Nearly 250 other organizations and individuals were also named. 
The federal government said the organizations were included on the list to provide evidence on the trial, but the district court and federal appeals court later ruled that it had been a mistake to make the list public. Uh, Omar's speech attracted 450 people inside with 600 on a waiting list, according to CARE Los Angeles Executive Executive Director Asimi Alusi. According to media reports, the chants included, Burn the Koran, Ilar Omar, Go to Hell, and Shame on You Terrorist. That was the outside protesters. Um, why do I bring that up? Oh, I bring it up because why does she speak there? Why is she okay to speak there? I mean, seriously. We're saying APAC is a horrible organization. They're not funding terrorism. And every time we hear a CARE speech, they're not talking about America. They're talking about making America what they want it to be, which is a Sharia law Muslim state. Any Muslim you ever talk to who is severely devout... Sharia law trumps all. Sharia law trumps all. Any Muslim you ever talk to who is from over there, America is a bad place. Women having power, bad place. Gay people, bad place. Our Hollywood, bad. Media, bad. Sex, music, nothing we do is good. They always talk of their religion first. Now, I'm not bashing that. But that's why people question, what is her loyalty? She has ran about and saying people have due loyalty, that they're uh, beholden to Israel. And the moment you say it about her, you're a bad person. You're xenophobic. You're racist. You're sexist. But more importantly, and why I do it is our, this is America, the worst soundbite. How many fucking times can this lady do this? How many times can she say horrible shit? How? I mean, this isn't the unearthed making fun of American soldiers and like an Al-Qaeda video. This was just last month. We This just happened a month ago. Some people did something. Those people outside are horrible. They were Jewish. And more importantly, why is the media ignoring it? Why is the media ignoring that people have called for her and Tlaib to be removed? I mean, if you flip the script and do any any variation of conservative speak, it is front page news. They're defending her. They're rolling out AOC. We're going to now no longer show September 11th pictures because it's triggering. And we're also xenophobic. If it's so hard for a Muslim to live here, why'd this piece of shit Somalian stroll her ass in the country? I'm just asking. Get elected to Congress. I'm just asking. Get the cover of Newsweek. Just asking. But so bad for Muslims. And the biggest thing about it is she's not the first Muslim. By far not the first Muslim ever 
And they actually float that out. There's been other Muslims and other Muslim females are up there. They just weren't Islamists. And that's what she is. She's an Islamist. She cheered inside when America got attacked. She cheers inside when America lose abroad. She cheers. She's never going to admit that. She cheers when Israelis die. She cheers and roots for the left-leaning Israelis to take over the country. Her and Tlaib are one-foot-in-the-door terrorists. I don't care what anybody tells you. Because if anything we learned about Al-Qaeda after September 11th and through the wars, their PR campaign is just as good as CNN. We read magazines, those have been with the show. We played magazines on we, we read the magazines. They're amazing. It's like Newsweek, Time Magazine. They have their game on. So being that I'm not a conspiracy theorist, it would make one think maybe she's the PR for them. She's the highest ranking Islamist they've ever gotten the door. And every week we're talking about her. It's not because we're obsessed. She's not my fucking congresswoman. It's because of what she's saying. Her actions. And I think it's on purpose. The only way they win is by stifling everybody else. And slowly but surely they pull out anti-Israeli talk. Oh, you're a racist if you say that. Now it's terrorism talk, you're racist. I think it's all planned. I don't, you know, I don't think anything AOC ever does isn't been done by those justice democrats and I don't think anything Elian Omar states or Rashida Tlaib states isn't conducted by Palestinian or severe Islamic in Omar's take um direction. They do it on purpose. They hate America. They want to punish America. And this is how they do it. Because slowly but surely, the media sides with them, and then nobody says anything. And before you know it, we're passing shit in Congress, not supporting Israel. We're passing shit in Congress, letting Sharia law take over. I mean, seriously, folks, you just got to Google or go to Bing, because they, they don't suppress Dearborn, Michigan. New York City with cop cars driving around. Those aren't fake. People think that's all doctored. It's not. They are starting this slowly but surely and will take over enclaves. And it's no different than Rashid Pura. They will own sections of America. And then what? I mean, I'm sorry. Maybe it's not them... But their family members that get in with open border, what happens next? I mean, the theory has always been we fight them over there so we don't have to fight them here. But the more and more our media capitulates to this shit and supports these fucking Islamists, I'll just say I won't be taking any bus trips lately. That's for damn sure. If this is the wave we're going to, we'll be just like Israel. There'll be buses blowing up, just like London, just like France. We've held it at bay, 
But that's why the immigration is so important. Nobody talks about it. That's why Canada blocks people on the border. This shit is scary. Because they have one mission. To conquer the world and bring up a caliphate. That's not me being fucking Mr. Xenophobe on my white supremacist website. That's what they say, dipshits. That's what that magazine we read on there say. And there's been multiple magazines since. I mean, every month they crank out a new magazine for the jihad. And ISIS is bowed, but they just all crawl back into caves. They'll be back. And to think we'll never have a 9-11 again, you're fucking stoned. You are fucking stoned. I challenge anybody who thinks this is all a bunch of bullshit that Trump and, or not Trump, but Bush and Cheney cocked up to get a second term. Watch the kingdom. The ending of the kingdom sums it up. They will kill all of us. That's what the Iman says. That's what they want. They're butthurt that they live in a dirt poor fucking piece of shit country because they still live like tribes in fucking ancient Samaria. And it's our fault. And they hate our culture on levels you won't believe. Ilion Omar goes on Colbert and probably prays extra that night because it's all a front. And it's all PR. So don't let them silence you. Don't let them call out hate. They call hate any criticism of them. Real hate comes out of Ilhan Omar, AOC, and Tlaib's mouth every fucking week. That's real hate. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family, friends, send comments about the track, or suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, FOP Podcast, and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So we kind of jacked this up because our next one was supposed to be the 16th. So let's roll with the 18th. 18 April 2019. Get a good free-for-all show go up. Uh, really going to get some extra non-political stuff this time. I've been working on a couple subjects. Uh, definitely some reviews because I've been watching things. Um, so we'll, we'll roll there. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Stay out of the pollen zone. Unlike me, I went out and did some yard work yesterday. I really regret the shit out of that. My throat's still sore. And remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Enjoy your family. And tune back in next Thursday. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.